Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the ninth episode of the Shooting Time podcast. Uh, we've got a cool guest on today, someone I've actually just met, um, and we will uh, get into that in just a moment. Uh, first, I'm just uh, I'm sitting here kind of in a, a frazzled mess. I just got back from a duck hunt from this morning. It's early afternoon here on uh, Thursday. I'm kind of a little few days late getting this podcast out, but I'm um, getting timing lined up with a, a certain duck call show that was just going on, kind of pushed some things off a little bit. But yeah, we had a, me and a buddy had a really good duck hunt this morning. We ended up killing a, a limit of mallards and on a little public piece, right? Actually private, technically, I guess on some uh, flooded corn where the public stuff flooded up into that. It was really good. We, uh, once the sun came up, it was good. The, the first morning, the first little flight was actually terrible, and all we had was flaring ducks. And as soon as the sun hit the decoys and gave us a little bit of shade in the corn, we were we were money after that. And so we were heading home, and I had an hour and a half or so to prepare for this podcast, I was thinking. And all was good, and I get home, and I look at my blind bag, and I go, I don't know where my duck calls are. And just, I'm sure everybody has a, a certain routine. I always or at least always thought that i did take my calls off when i either was at the out of the boat or done hunting or whatever and stick in my blind bag in a certain spot and i get home and sure enough they were not there and you know a little bit of panic sets in immediately and i i'm like ah they just got to be in the truck well they're not in the truck and i look there and then i'm thinking okay well, maybe in my camera bag and they're not in my camera bag and then i kind of freak out and i look in the pouch of my waiters and they're not there like, um and i asked my buddy if they end up in his blind bag and of course they didn't so i freak out he uh takes care of ducks for me i end up driving back down almost a half hour to our spot to look on the side of the road where my truck was parked and where we where we uh pulled our boats up and of course they're not there because I, I don't know why i left them sit there but maybe they're in our pile of stuff and they weren't there so I drive home thinking, well, I just lost all my calls. Of course, all my favorite ones, most of them are old or older. I mean, not classic, but they're 10 to 10 plus years on most of them. And all my bands, I don't have a ton, but I got probably 14 or 15 between duck and goose bands. And don't think I'd ever replace those. I would probably never buy other ones. So I'm thinking, well, I'm going to start fresh on that and go through my call collection and, and uh, find which calls I want to replace all my other ones with. So I was pretty bummed out after that, after having a good duck hunt, and then you turn it into a lost lanyard. The one only good thing I do have and as a note on that is I was thinking that if someone happened to ever find it, this is something that you might want to think about doing, because another friend of mine, uh, Mike Anderson, actually out of uh, Minnesota, he lost his lanyard off the back of his truck, and he did not have the same thing I'm going to tell you about on there, and so he never got it back. Um, but I have a, a dog tag made, like an actual dog tag that would go on your dog's collar. Like I did it when I worked at Cabello's, and I put my name and my phone number, and I put a note on the other side, if found, please return to my name, and I put my phone number on there. In the odd chance that you know maybe who finds it, it was pretty honest. Um, so I was hoping that maybe I'd, I'd get a phone call that someone drove down the road and picked it up ahead of me and, you know, that didn't happen. So I got home and 
I dig through my truck again and I dig through all the blind bags and I go through everything. Finally, I'm like, you know, let's just check one last thing. I reach down in the bottom of my waiter boot. And all I feel is dampness. I'm like, oh, man. I reached down in the other one, and sure enough, I stuck my finger in the end of my goose call, and they were sitting down in there. So the disaster was averted, and uh, I was thinking to myself the whole time as I was driving back, I'm thinking, well, I have the perfect the perfect podcast guest on today because this is the guy that can get me set up with a new, a new duck call. But unfortunately, he's so busy, unless he was going to make an emergency situation for me, I wouldn't have it till next year. So, um, and uh, that guy is uh, Josh Raggio, pronounced several ways, as I just found out. But uh, anyways, he is a uh, custom call maker out of Mississippi. What town are you from, Josh? I live in Raymond, uh, which is a little small town uh, just outside of Jackson. When I say small town, like we only we have one stop sign. <laughs> so, yeah. Man, stop sign or stop light? Uh, stop sign. We have a four way stop right in the middle of the town square. And, uh, and how, that is, uh, you have a diner. That's it. You have a, yeah, you have a diner and a bar. A diner. We've got, uh, we've got a little Mexican restaurant and we've got a subway and a pizza hut just came in. Um, that's pretty that's big time. That's big time for a mean lunch in the grocery store. Ooh, that's some of the chicken. That's some of the best. Yeah. That's a lot. So, if you have a grocery store in a one-stop sign town, that's you're doing pretty good. Yeah, it's not. It's not the grocery store that you're probably used to, though. It's a little, little. Yeah, that's what we got here. I'm I'm in Salem, South Dakota, and oh, we have we have thirteen hundred people, so we're not tiny by any means, but we're big in South Dakota terms. But in you know most people who are listening are living in big cities or whatever. You know, we're tiny still, so. Yeah, I wouldn't have it any other way, man. No. I grew up in this town and moved away for college. And then a little while after college, when I first got married and just gravitated back, you know, couldn't stay away from my small town living. A little slower, a little quieter. Oh, it really is. I love it. There's no doubt. Like, you know, when I was was younger, the town I grew up in was about about 8,000 when I was in high school on that. And. You know, everybody hated hated the town, and there was nothing good going on, and all that baloney when you're young. And then after college, I thought, you know, I moved back, and I didn't didn't love it, didn't hate it, uh, but I moved away, and I moved to like a suburb of uh, Minneapolis. And man, you you could not pay me enough to move back into that scenario again. <clears throat> There's literally not not a pay gap that I would take to, unless it was enough to that I could work for like one year and then retire move back away because there's i hate it everything about it you don't trust or know your neighbors you've got driving super long distances to get to hunting stuff and then it's crowded and everywhere you go like every time i go back to that area just driving down the roads i think to myself how did i ever do this for a few years where i i thought it was normal you know to have to drive to spend 45 minutes to drive 15 miles yeah it's crazy i I actually lived in uh I moved. I lived in Chicago for a year, oh. your year of college, and man, you talk about shell shock. Oh, I mean, yeah, coming from a little town in Mississippi town to Chicago to Chicago. Was, uh, uh, that's one of the. I mean, that's one of the most congested places you can you can go. 
other than me other than it was great wait what my style other other than the music scene i don't know that i really appreciate chicago all that much as far as having having some blues music there because i'm kind of a blues music fan so i dig having that stuff having that available right there but other than that mm -mm, no thanks it's one of those places where you like to visit but you don't want you don't want to live yeah great place to go for a week but yep beyond don't live there again. Man, beyond that it just drives you nuts oh, that's yeah cool. so you in mississippi are and i seem to have well every all my guests either seem to be from what i would i would consider the south and i'm obviously you would say you're from the south mississippi or from minnesota and just as we were so everyone knows we were chatting a little bit last night on the phone just to kind of get a feel for uh for each other and as I was driving around talking to him on the phone, I'm constantly, he's probably getting annoyed because I was stopping all the time. I'd say, Oh, hold on a minute. I got to, I got to watch this field and see if I can hear any more ducks in this field. <laughs> Cause I'm not, well, I'm not going to say exactly where I was, but I'm in the Eastern half of South Dakota. And there's uh we have, we've received a fair amount of rain and there's flooded cornfields around. And so you might see, two or five or 20 ducks go down into somewhere that you can't see the water. So my scouting method is just to usually stop, turn my truck off and get as close as I can and then turn my truck off and just listen for a bit. And if it sounds like a refuge, then you know it's somewhere you need to ask. And and if you don't hear a refuge in there, oh, you still might need to ask based on what you see going. But sometimes you just catch that one or two ducks going and like the spot I hunted the day, I just saw like a few birds land back in this little pocket and, you know, like we get back in this morning and we had an eruption of ducks. So kind of a, a, such a totally different style of hunting that than what you guys, I would consider down South have simply due to lack of pressure. And, uh, like he was, he, Josh commented on that as to how, how unique of a situation it is to, to our area of the country and, you guys just don't ever have that option even to really do that. We don't, you know, I, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't annoyed by the way. I was, I was envious. <laughs> okay. I was living vicariously through you <laughs> last night as you're watching ducks yep. pour into a field. Yeah. We're, <laughs> it's, you know, 90 degrees where mm-hmm. I'm sitting. Yeah. We were talking. It was, it was cool last night here today. It's actually 70. Oh, now like I'm, I was hot and just a, a, a wool, like base layer on the pat roll back into the boat. So, but you know, heck just a, like a week ago, week or 10 days ago, we had, we had a heck of a, a, a cold front come through. I had snow. My yard was completely white with snow wow. like a little over a week ago, maybe not even a week ago. I'm trying to think of when that was, whatever it was, it was cold. It was 22 degrees. It was chilly. We had a, a big push of birds and this is by far the best October uh, duck hunting I've seen since I've lived in South Dakota for 10 years now. And typically, really? typically I'm driving, like, you know, everybody thinks of South Dakota as just this place is absolutely filled with ducks this time of year. And there's spots that maybe are, but it's a little more widespread. I mean, a guy can go anywhere on that, especially the Northern half of the state and, and find, find ducks right now after that cold front came through that North Dakota really got hit. And man, we had, we saw some birds go through and even today, um, we saw specks migrating again every day I've been hunting the last 10 days. It's just been like nonstop specks migrating overhead. 
um, buddy of mine's a pilot that I hunted with today, and he he actually took a uh, a guy down a Stuttgart uh, two days ago, and he said there's specs all over down there already. So there's been a lot of stuff on the move. So it's good of, to hear. I yeah. can't wait for him to get here. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, when, when when do they get there is the question. <laughs> That's a great question. Because you're not far from Stuttgart, right? Uh, I'm about I'm about four hours. Um, so relative to me, you're super close. I'm about 15. Yeah, a lot closer than that. Um, yeah. But, you know, we, we hunt that, you know, what you were talking about earlier, like the way you hunt um, up there is, is totally different than the way we do it. I mean, it's just, it's unheard of. You know, to ride around, look for ducks and knock on somebody's door. It just doesn't happen. Um, now, you get into the you know extended goose and stuff like that. Um, it does happen then because, you know, the farmers aren't – they would just – they would like for you to shoot all the snow geese, you know. Oh, for sure. Um, but it doesn't happen with duck hunting. You know, everything is leased. Um, if it's not leased, it's, uh, it's owned by a duck hunter. Oh, and, yeah. And, uh, I mean, it's just not – just not how we – are able to hunt down here and when there's and I've, I've always i think i've said this before probably in different episodes but it's one of those things that i it's both it's very cool there's positives and negatives to it because you have that culture of duck hunting like you i mean you probably grew up around it i grew up around it in minnesota but i was talking to the, one of the landowners the guy that we hunted today um you know so what we did is we paddled through a half mile of public marsh that's super flooded like places that would never be water, but now it's like flares grass and uh, marsh grass or prairie grass with water over it. We paddled through that for well, probably half a mile and we kind of jutted into a little flooded spot in a cornfield. And the guy I talked to last night, you know, we were, we were chatting a little bit about how he doesn't let anybody deer hunt. But, you know, if a guy asks, I usually let him duck hunt, he said. And, and I, and I was thinking about how, as I was talking to him for probably half an hour, what how good we have it that that's something that we can even do because like like i said i mean like where you guys are like i when i've been on the times i've been to arkansas or oklahoma or the and in southern illinois i've just like it, it would be humorous to go and knock on someone's door that had a duck slew or a, or some standing timber flooded timber in their backyard and ask them duck hunting. I mean, the look on their face would probably be like, "Boy, are you serious?" Yeah, it, it just you know, I, I really hope that it it stays that way uh, for you because um, mm-hmm. it's the alternative is not fun. You know, I mean, it's uh, the alternative is either you have to come up with a bunch of money for a lease or yeah. uh, you hunt public land, and uh, which is you know what I do, but. Um, that's that's a whole another set of challenges. Oh, uh, for sure it is. You, you know, get to that point. You know, and even here, public land is so. Oh, actually, up until tomorrow, hunting public land is okay because what happens here in South Dakota as of well, no, tomorrow is okay. As of Saturday, Saturday is our pheasant season opener, uh, and I mean it's it's an unbelievable like barrage of orange coming on Saturday. <laughs> and so what happens is all these public spots, you know, every piece that has water, well, it has some cattails and it has some grass around it. So people hunt the crap out of it and either their presence by walking kicks ducks up off of the, the sloughs in there, or they're shooting at pheasants and that kicks all the ducks off. 
So it never fails that after the opening weekend of pheasant season, I'm not, I'm not going to say that you never get ducks on public, especially on bigger public pieces. You can like, if it's really big water and the ducks feel safe on the middle, but like all these nice little like spots that we have with little, like cool little marshes and, and small prairie potholes, those things just get enough pressure. I mean, every single day they get someone walking through and professes. So the birds are never on there. And and this is the first October where we've, where I've shot, I don't even know how many days worth of mallards or duck limits we've shot. And, and there's just ducks around. And that typically is not the case. And we were talking about, that's why we hunted this, even though we technically were on private today, we were only off of public by like 50 yards. So essentially it's hunting the, the public ducks. And we said, we need to hunt this before pheasant opener or they're going to be long gone because someone's going to get in there and shoot it, you know, shoot six times at one pheasant. And those ducks are all going to pick up and go and go away and never to be seen again on that piece until, you know, maybe mid-November when some of that traffic kind of eases off a little bit. So even up here, like our public is, it's not always great. And there's, and we have some lakes and that kind of stuff that, you know, we shoot, we definitely shoot ducks on that, on those public things later. But all of our nice little small public stuff that we've got a lot of public land and man, it just gets, it just gets beat up by the pheasant guys and there's no chance. So, well, I mean, when you think of South Dakota, I mean, at least if you're from the South, I mean, you don't necessarily think duck hunting. I mean, it's, it's pheasant. Yeah. Oh, yeah. for sure. I mean, and that's one of the, one of the cool things when I was working at Cabela's and it's, so tomorrow is, so tomorrow at the store I worked at, it's in Mitchell, South Dakota. It's a, uh, it basically the like epicenter of the pheasant hunting world. And that, sure. at that little store, it was one of the smallest Cabela stores. Um, they don't do it anymore, but the, for one of the first few years I was there, I mean, we would do close to a million dollars in sales in a day wow. when, when you combined sales and uh, license sales. So, I mean, it was unbelievable the amount of traffic and it was super cool. And it was all dudes from Mississippi, Alabama, South Carolina, California, people from other countries and it was it was so fun to see that and that's what everybody thought of and and you'd always get these guys that would come in here and you know a little bit later in the season it seemed like it was always dudes from south carolina they'd always want to be able to buy hunting licenses well our license our our duck hunting licenses are on a a lottery system so they couldn't get them and uh they would see you know they'd see they'd be pheasant hunting they would see ducks on a little cool little slough somewhere and they'd want to go hunt them and get a license while we, I had to be the guy to explain to them why they couldn't get them. And of course I like personally as a duck hunter, I was glad that that's how it was. And you know, they didn't like to hear that either, that the fact they couldn't come hunt just whenever they wanted, but uh, it's a, yeah, it's, still, it's a bucket list thing. You know, the pheasant uh, South Dakota pheasant hunt uh, for a lot of people, um, you know, me included never done it, but it's kind of one of those things that, I don't know, I guess for people that aren't close to the, you know, public land flooded timber, you know, a lot of, well, that's, that's a bucket list hunt for a lot of guys, yep. you know, flooded timber in Arkansas or Mississippi yeah, or wherever. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, this, what we do is just cause it's here. Um, you take it for granted. Yeah, man, That pheasant thing is, that's a cool deal. We'll do that one day. You know, you would, you dig it like something. Well, we'll have to talk about this later. We'll have to get you up your duck hunting and then you could do it during pheasant season. Like you would never want to come before pheasant season, but. 
get up and and there's plenty of opportunities for people to come and shoot duck or shoot pheasants in South Dakota on on public ground, um, especially later in the season. If a guy, you know, everybody comes the first two weekends. That's the huge, huge barrage of when there's just people absolutely everywhere. But if you come in, say, like the second week in November and the guy has a dog or maybe third week in November, if you have a dog and you're willing to walk some cattails and the crops are out and you, you know, you put your time in and put some miles in it, you're going to shoot your birds. You might not shoot a limit, especially, but you, you got to come with like, you know, two or three guys, not a big group. Right. And a, a couple of good dogs and a guy will shoot pheasants and you'll shoot wild birds. You know, when you go to most of these, if you go to a, a ranch or a pheasant, whatever, and they're going to say that they have wild birds, but the wild bird thing isn't happening on those places. They're, they're planting birds and they're releasing birds and that. Cause I mean, as many birds as we have, you can't shoot 600 birds off of a, a you know, 160 acre piece of ground and, and expect there to be wild pheasants left after that. So, right. But right. yeah, if, if a guy wants to come shoot pheasants on public ground in South Dakota, it's very doable. Um, you know, it's, I mean, Christ, there's guys that, there's guys that farm, like they don't hardly farm for crop anymore. They farm for pheasants at this point. Yeah. So it's a huge yeah. piece of our economy. I mean, it would, it would be like, it, it's like the Stuttgart of the duck hunting world where everything is focused around that lodges and hotels and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's cool to see. And, and I'm super glad that I'm not working tomorrow because tomorrow is that, <laughs> that day. That's really, really busy. And this isn't my first year of not, not doing 15 that years of it already. Yeah. I had 15, 16 years of that and I am going to wherever I'm hunting tomorrow. And I, I've got a couple of good spots lined up. And even if it's bad and super miserable and anything short of me losing my lanyard again, I'm just going to sit back and just <laughs> constantly remind myself that I am not at Cabela's getting my ass kicked <laughs> right now every single minute no, try, no. trying to put out a fire of some sort or get more people here, get more people who know and whatever it was. It was it's it's complete chaos is what it is. So I'm just going to enjoy the fact that I'm not there doing that. So well, I'll enjoy the fact that I'm in Mississippi and not hunting but i get to make duck calls while you're out heck, slamming mallards oh heck yeah I mean, yeah i will uh i'll send you a text tomorrow of my uh of our uh, ducks that we get i think it should be good i got a we hunted a you know it's weird like i don't know if, if you've hunted flooded corn much and we don't get a chance to do it a lot but here when we get flooded corn it's like a natural flooded corn i mean it's it's typically it's not how you, it's not like a you know, it, it, none, it's never control, man-made type flooded corn like in, in some, a lot of states where they control it. You know, we don't have right. any, we don't have any of that. And oddly, it doesn't seem like it's legal here. No one does it, and maybe because we no one needs to because we or we're just we don't have the pressure. But it's weird because when you hunt it, like it can either be unbelievable lights out, like oh geez, a week ago, me and a buddy and. A, one of his friends went and hunted it, and we were done in literally ten minutes shooting greenhead or fifteen greenheads in fifteen shots. Oh, every one of them at like fifteen yards. I mean, it was awesome. Wow. And then today, God, we hunted, and these birds weren't pressured. I mean, they're definitely not pressured in that little spot. And I kicked a ton of boats out when I pulled my uh, or a ton of 
mallards out of this thing when I kicked, pulled my boat into this little hole. And, God, we just could not get birds to finish. And then all of a sudden the sun came up and got higher. And then then they started doing it better. Yeah. But, like, it was just this weird thing of how this floated corn up here works. And it it can be, like, the most depressing thing in the world, knowing that you're in a spot that should just be lights out, yet you're struggling. And when I say struggling, we, we were done by a little before 10 o'clock. So it's not like it was terrible. but And it was still a limit of mallards. And we had tons of chances on all of our other other ducks so that was cool but i think i forgot the whole point of my story there but so anyways we we hunt this uh we're hunting this flooded corn and and we're having birds that are like we're coming over us we we would hit them with a call and and maybe it's something you guys noticed too down there but this one actually this is one benefit of being in a southern state and that people in the southern states don't realize is that this time of year, a mallard is really not very callable. They aren't responsive to a call like you guys see in November, December, maybe January. Yeah. Whereas, like, right now, like, we had multiple singles, pairs, triples, groups of 10 and 20. Uh, mallards working over the top of us, working off the side of us. And if it was three weeks from now or two weeks from now and we, and we, and we cranked on them, I would expect just to see a, a whole bunch of backs and at least come and work us. But man, they just, this time of year, like, and we're, we're rapidly approaching the time where it starts to switch, but they just don't respond to a call this time of year. Like they do starting November 1st. And this is the one time of year where I would consider a mojo to be acceptable because of that. <laughs> Cause I'm not a mojo fan or a spinning wing fan, but man, we were think we were debating about if we, if we would have had one, we probably would have stuck that sucker in the mud and, and let her, let her rip. But we don't what, have, what, what makes you not a fan of it? Like the tradition side of things. Yeah. Or, the tradition. Or side. The- you know, you know, I, I can't even say the tradition side it's, but that's part of it. But the fact that, we like and I think I want to get into more of this maybe a little in depth later is it's more of letting the duck hunting side be an art rather than a technological battle and a gadget battle to see who's going to get more ducks or to help help get more ducks in um, and then it's just a personal preference you know because there's like everyone picks their gadgets that they're going to use like I use a duck call it's a gadget yeah. but but yeah. but yeah, that's something that you work at and perfect as an art. I think to to um, do it. So yeah, yeah. flipping a button. Yeah, yeah, you yeah you don't just flip a button and then all of a sudden the ducks just magically come in. So yeah, no, I get it. That's always my that's that's actually exactly been my thing. Is we you turn a switch on and here come the ducks and watch out. Yeah. So, but um. So yeah, the, like these ducks up here, like right now, they just aren't very callable and we had all these ducks come by and we'd get them to maybe like break real quick and then on the circles and on the corners you just don't get them to snap like mm-hmm. like you do come november 1st so it's super frustrating because with the mojo maybe you would get them to just come down in on that first swoop and you bang them up and then you don't have to worry about them come over the head of you because in a flooded cornfield 
that's one of those goofy things is they get over the top of you and man they they just peer right down into there and no matter what you're wearing they seem like to see a buddy of mine has resorted to started wearing like dark brown and black sweatshirts and jackets so that you kind of match like the rose and i yeah. thought oh maybe i'll wear really light colors to match the you know the stocks and that doesn't i mean they they just they bust you and it's a weird deal so so what are you using for i mean like you know movement are you using a jerk cord you know kicking water we didn't we, we were actually kicking water today in this cornfield we didn't kick we didn't bring a jerk cord we wish we would have and everybody who hunts with me probably gets sick of me saying this but i i always say man we should have brought a jerk cord today because <laughs> i've said it probably a half dozen times this year and and we just we never bring one because they're just well in in this kind of situation they're actually very handy Typically, we're hunting out of a boat in a little bit deeper water, you know, not necessarily not over our head or over our waders type deep, yeah. but we're hunting where the dog is swimming. So then you've got <coughs> kind of a pain in the butt because the dog gets in it and all that baloney. But like today, you know, it was only knee deep. So the dog is still walking and it wouldn't have been an issue. Yeah. So we definitely could have used it um, and it probably would have been really smart. But we didn't have any motion. Um, you know, that's, it, the motion thing brings up a whole thing that I do want to talk about at some point in time and maybe talk about it real quick now is, you know, it, it's been motion has been a word. You got to have motion in your decoys and your mo- decoys got to be moving. And my dad, I mean, how, when I started hunting 30 some years ago, my dad said that and you hear it all the time. But to be honest, I don't think that your decoys moving matters a single bit i think your decoys i think you could take water decoys put them on a stake above the water but as long as you have the waves going i think you're yeah. golden i think it's that calm water that screws you it which is, is where which is where I, I, I would agree with that yeah statement. yeah i don't think having in the coast same for goose hunting like everybody wants stakes on their decoys so that they move I'm like doesn't matter does not matter just put wind over those decoys so that those geese have something to work into and you're good on ducks on water you put waves on the water and that little ripple doesn't matter if your decoy moves a centimeter over the next 100 years you're good as long as you got those waves yeah i mean honestly we you know for us i mean the jerk cord is as important as you know your lanyard full of calls i mean it's it's equally as important um you know, so we all keep them in a blind bag and well, extra ones in boats and stuff. Especially um, for you guys, right? Because you're, you're, you mainly hunt the timber. Yeah. You're hunting the woods. So, like, yeah. so there's a lot of people who are probably listening to this if they're from the northern half of the country who've not, or western or eastern, if you're not in that little tiny little slice that has, has that close to home. If the one thing that you really quickly learn when you're hunting flooded timber is that, your duck call is a close quarters tool because like where we are, we're calling the ducks that are, and we've turned ducks who half a mile, maybe more half a mile, half a mile, probably maybe that's the limit half a mile away with two or three of us calling super aggressive. We will turn ducks from half a mile away um, in the places that we hunt. Whereas you have no chance of seeing a duck more than, what a few hundred yards maybe off to the side 
maybe you yeah. know kind of depending maybe. on what you're set up and yeah you know, I the guess, size like, timber you're in basically if, if you were going to hunt on the op- first few weeks of the season when you got leaves on the ground or on the trees you're i mean you're looking almost straight up yeah essentially and then right. as like when i've been there it's always been in i think january is out when i've always been into arkansas and so you you can see out a little bit in certain places you can see a little bit more off the side but you're not calling the ducks that are i mean i don't think we've ever called ducks over a few hundred yards away like you just you don't see them or it seems like it's pointless but once but you're sure sure getting on them when they're close and then a lot of ducks come over top of you so that jerk cord is absolutely vital at that point yeah i think part of it or is kicking obviously you're going to call ducks yep. um, when you can see them at the right times and all mm-hmm. that but you know oftentimes i'm not going to say that we sit out there from you know shooting time till we leave blowing a call but you know you can and it is advantageous i mean we, we blow a call even though we're not seeing ducks i mean yeah kind of like what else yes. is there to do i mean you know so you're yep. you're doing some um you know, just short, quick, you know, kind of bursty hail, t- hail calls or, you know, yeah. greetings and things like that. Just aggress- aggressive hands just to there. get them. Just, you know, you want, them to, you want them to come where you can see them, obviously. Um, yeah. So we do we do a pretty good bit of calling when you're not even, you know, what you would consider a slow time just because you can't see, you know, past 200 yards. Doesn't mean there's ducks. The ducks aren't there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, and we kick the water. Um, this is a lot of noise. I mean, if if you listen in the woods to a oh, bunch of ducks, super like nice. It's so um, cool. This that's here's another cool thing that me being an outsider, that one of the things I I recognize about how cool in the woods is is those ducks feel very safe when they're on the water in there. On and, a sunny day. <laughs> oh yeah, on a sunny day, super yeah. safe. Yes, yeah. yeah. Oh man, the sun is. Not a cloudy day. Uh, I, I hate it. Going to eat them on a cloudy day. I think. I, I they, hate it. Think. Oh yeah, like your face, your the zipper on your jacket is. They see Gosh. it. It's, it's the worst. A tree branch. Uh, yeah. So, but when they're on the water, in the woods, and you're hunting, it's amazing how many ducks can be around you. Yeah. At certain times, I mean, you'll be sitting there, in. We had one, I mean, it was actually one year, the best year I've ever had down there. We had, we were in the middle, we had about a half to three quarter mile walk through the woods. And we got up to an area where there was nobody else hunting. And there was an ungodly amount of ducks. And it was almost a detriment because we were fighting all these ducks around us. We had like a circle of ducks around us. And so you're sitting there and you hear, I mean, you're hearing, and splashing and everything every way around you and like up here like if a mallard sees you at you know a quarter mile away that sucker is gone right but they will swim you'll be hunting and they'll swim by you at 80 yards and you'll see some two greenheads just putts right putts right on by at 80 yards and they don't care and they're cool and then they go swim off and you never see them again and then Five minutes later, there goes another bunch of twenty of them go swim through. And so it's, yeah, it's 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 different. It's it's interesting, you know, from what you guys do. It really is. And one of these days, I want to. I'm just going to do a, an entire episode about the timber hunt, and because it's got a lot of mystery to it, and 
and a lot of people I think are super intimidated by it and rightly so because it's it's an entirely different thing than what 90% of the geographical part of the country does. I mean, a lot of the probably more than that of percent of duck hunters are located in that area, but so much of the country does not have that and never sees it. And until you do it, until you find yourself in the middle of a woods that you could be deer hunting in and then place a foot and a half of water in that for sometimes a mile on each side, like you, it's hard to almost like think of what, what what's it even like to hunt in that kind of stuff. So I, the, I know like our first trip down was like, well, for me, the guy I went with, he'd been, he had done uh, some stuff in Missouri and a, one other trip into Arkansas. So he was familiar with it. But for me, I, like the first day of driving our boat through the woods, it was just the crazy. I mean, it was awesome. Like I sat there just, and we we're kicking ducks up and I'm like this, like, I don't care if I shoot a duck from here on out. This has just been fun. Just like an adventure as just to get in here. So it's a cool deal. Yeah, I've had, um, um, we have a really good group, you know, everybody kind of has their group, you know, of guys they hunt with and yep. I'm fortunate to hunt with some just fantastic hunters, um, and callers also, I think my group, I think, you know, if out of, uh, it's about 10 of us, 12 of us, and not everybody can hunt all at the same time. But, you know, I think out of our group, we've, you know, blown in the world's um, seven or eight times combined. So some really good callers in our group. Yeah. You know? and, and you gotta be in the woods. Um, but what I was going to say is, is you've heard of, you know, buck fever a guy, you know, big buck comes by him and he just mm-hmm. doesn't shoot and he watches him. Um, you know, we, we've had guests uh, come with us before and it's their first time in the woods. And all of a sudden, you know, you land a big group and they don't ever shoot and you kind of look <laughs> over at them and their, their eyes are just, huge and have a huge smile on their face yeah and they're just like transfixed on what happened that That was my first flock my first flock that came in that we had come in on uh when we were by ourselves i just they came in it was like six of them just floated right down and landed 15 yards in front of us i didn't we never pulled the trigger i was like wow that's so cool just to it's such a different thing having ducks come in over open water or even a marsh even a small marsh it's it's, it's something it's, else, it's a thousand percent different than what you've ever done before if you've never done it and i laugh because like here in south dakota we have a lot of like our, our water level has been increasing for the last 20 years so we have all these lakes that have a, like a smattering of dead timber on them and you know it's like a tree every 20 feet or 30 feet or I mean, not even, not even anywhere near that dense. And guys are like, Oh yeah, we hunted flooded timber and we've had them. They're like, no, it's not the same. It really, it's not the same because they're not fluttering down, breaking branches, crisscrossing in front of you. It's not the same. Nowhere in the country has it besides Missouri, Oklahoma, has a teeny tiny bit Arkansas, Mississippi, just Texas. I think maybe has a little mm-hmm. tiny maybe, bit. Maybe tiny about it. No, I'll tell you a quick story. So mm-hmm. one of my, one of our buddies in our group, Brooks, he uh, he and his dad took. Uh, I won't say the guy's name, but he's a pretty f- famous hunter. Uh-huh. Um, this guy, you know, 
killed everything in Africa. And he's, he's just, he just hunted everything yep. all around the world been in every situation. And so he take him to um, flooded timber for the first time. And that first group, um, it happens. Like I just explained, yeah, they yep. come through and, it's a group of about a hundred, which is a uh, lot of ducks. That's a lot of ducks. Coming through the woods. ducks. And it's noisy. It looks like a thousand. And it's noisy. So they shoot, you know, he's, he's calling the shots. He says, you know, take him or whatever. And they shoot, boom, 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 boom. They look over and the guy did not pull the trigger. And he said that, <laughs> he literally, he's, he's killed, you know, almost everything you can shoot. And, hunt yep. and um, he said, that is the most ex- single, most exciting thing I've ever witnessed in my life. Um, from an outdoor experience, the guy did not pull his trigger. Isn't that cool? That. I mean, it is, uh, it's that enthralling, um, oh, it, to it, see happen for the first time. You, and you can't even hardly explain it until you've done it. Like you can, you can try to imagine what it's like, but until you've seen it in her, I think the hearing the, for me, the, like what I'm hearing as that is happening yeah. is as cool yeah. as what I'm seeing. Like I remember we we had one day where I just sat and it was it was dark. Like I tried to video with my cell phone and it was it was like pitch black yet and we heard wings go overhead. So we get on our call and we're kicking water and all of a sudden like and I have no idea how many it was because I couldn't see, but I just had my cell phone up and I'm listening and the next thing I know, I mean there's ducks like probably at like five or ten yards like hovering. <laughs> Yeah. And you're hearing branch, yeah. the branches are breaking and like how hard those ducks hit the water. People don't know this, but I mean, they, they don't like softly come down. Nice. They go, boosh. yeah, they bloop and they blop down and yeah. they're under the water and they pop back up and there then they are looking around and it's just the coolest thing. Like the sounds are every bit as cool, I think, as, as like what you see. And I mean, if someone wants to do it, I'm not going to, I don't want to get, have it well arkansas just put a bunch of regulations to prevent some people from coming but i don't think uh you know if it's something you want to do i'm just gonna say you just need to do it and you need to expect that your first trip might be a bust you might have one good day out of four four days because you're gonna spend the day learning it you're gonna spend a day scouting then you're gonna have a good day and then the next day may or may not be good because uh, it's it's difficult. What we're what you and I are talking about is the end result. You know, yeah, exactly. Getting to that point between uh, first of all knowing where you're going, mm-hmm. um, second of all actually getting there. And typically, it's a boat race. Um, and you know, with the with all the regulations on times, you know, you only leave a certain time. There's no yeah. more going the day before and sleeping in the hole and yeah. um, things like that. And you know, if you get beat to the hole that you want you know, you, you better have plan B, C and D. Oh um, yeah. And, and, you know, hopefully, you know, you have that. So it, it's a, uh, a lot of times it's just a, just a cluster, um, you know, the boat ramp and, you yeah. know, emotions run high, everybody's tired and everybody's excited and every, you know, well, kind of, and you've got you know, guys are going over the same spot and you, you know, and so it's who can get there the fastest and not make a wrong turn because mm-hmm. literally one wrong turn, uh, uh, you know, on a 15 to 45 minute boat ride and you're, you lose your hole. It, it's it, not important. And it's being in that stuff in the dark is oh. an entirely different world. Like trying to navigate your way through some of that stuff in a boat in the dark, even walking in the dark 
it's confusing yeah. and it's hard. And you better have a GPS if you don't know exactly. Even even if you, I don't know how you would even know where you're going. To be honest, you though. just do it so much. And what we used to do, you know, again, the regulations have changed to where you know used to you could hunt till you know lunch or so, and you had to be out. But then you could go back and scout. She just couldn't have any hunting stuff on you. You know, a lot of places now, um, you know, in the south. I mean, I'm talking about anything specific, Mississippi and Arkansas. Uh-huh. You can't even set foot on that place after you know one o'clock anymore. And so, so, so you know, is that, the place that hurts that- new hunters because. You either gotta decide if you're gonna hunt that morning or scout that morning, or so the place you know. that we talked about yesterday that I won't mention. Did that change that you can't go back in there after one? Because What's we that? did what change the place that we talked about. Can you still go into that place and scout? No. no. Oh, it's that just changed in the last what year then or two? It's been a couple of years, yeah. Because yeah, yes. I was there two. That really, two that's years where ago. we benefited. As a group, like I would say, talking about, you know, good hunters, um, you know, guys that aren't lazy, we'd be up at, you know, two to be at the boat ramp, get in line, you know, essentially race or get to a hole, hunt, yep. get back out, take all your stuff back to wherever you're staying, then go back and scout all afternoon. That's what you know we mean? did too. That's, that good is the day. difference. I think because it's in and here's the thing that that's like one of the huge differences that I see from where I'm at to where you're at. Like I can scout, I'm driving and I pull my binoculars and I scan the horizon and I'm scouting two mile radius around where I'm at. Yes. Yeah. Or more, or maybe more. I mean, if it's a big wad of ducks, I'm going to see them at three miles. Well, then I go drive however far I need to go west or east or north or whatever direction I see a, a big mob of ducks and I go find them. And, oh, there they are. Pull up the plat book. Oh, you're on an onyx. And there they are. Boom. Maybe I get permission. Yeah. Maybe they're in public. But when you're in that stuff, like your scouting is limited to the river channel and what you see across in front of you. Yeah. Essentially. Like, yeah, it's basically what yeah, you got. I mean, you're, when you're scouting, you're not looking for... I mean, you love to find dogs, but you rarely do. I mean, you're looking for a flight line, promising spots, you know, and a flight line wind tomorrow. You know, you're looking for the whole setup. Is there a tall tree where they're going to line up or is there a short tree? Can they even line up and get in that hole? Yep. But you want to hunt based on the wind. All right. So the, if that's good now, is there a spot on the other side of the hole? Can we hide everybody that's going tomorrow? Where are we going to hide? You know, it's, it's pretty, I mean, to figure that out, the day before and not at four in the morning when it's dark. I mean, sometimes you have to, it's part of it, but you know, when we scout, it's, you know, you're not necessarily looking for ducks. I mean, you're, you're looking for spots that are good yeah. for the, the conditions for the next day or for, you know, for the future. I mean, you're, yeah. Well, we log all that stuff and oh, for sure. You know, like I said, my, I just hunt with some, some great guys that just get after it. And, uh, uh they're really good at, at that whole part of hunting uh, and may, that's probably why it makes it so sweet when you do actually have a good day in the woods is all the work that went into it um you know the reward is is just that much better um when it all comes together okay and it doesn't happen every day no really. no, <laughs> you know, there's a lot no, of not perception that oh you hunt in the woods you hunt in mississippi arkansas oh. you always got ducks and it's well, not how it works you have ducks so that's one thing i've always found funny is since I've been coming down there is I always, 
I always get a kick out of when you hear, oh, we don't have any ducks this year. There's no ducks. And you sit at the refuge or the boat launch or wherever you are, and you're watching tens of thousands of ducks pour out. So, Because we don't get that is what we don't typically have up here is we don't have those huge congregations like you guys get in the refuges and the resting spots where these ducks go, and then they work their way out over the woods. You know, we'll yeah. have a thousand here. So. I would two- say that, yeah, we have ducks, but I think there's a word maybe, you know, that doesn't get used is killable ducks. I mean, yeah, they're yep. smart. You know, they know, I, I, they know if they're on a refuge or sanctuary oh, for sure. Um, hence why there's a hundred thousand of them sitting there yep. and not a hundred thousand sitting, feet on the side sitting in the woods. Yeah, right exactly. There, okay? You know, um, and that's, that's exactly one of the points that I like to make about, because people, you know, the further south down the line you get, everybody likes to think that their ducks are smarter and smarter. And I don't agree with that because I think they're smarter the longer they've been in the spot. Yeah. the Like, I will tell people right now, like, so our ducks that we have right now, our forecast is nice and warm for the next 10 days. These ducks are going to have been here for two weeks, three weeks now. And at the end of that two or three weeks, even though we're in North Dakota or South Dakota, it's those ducks are going to know where they're going and they're going to be just as tough as a duck in that's been sitting at the same spot in Arkansas or Mississippi or Kansas or wherever for two weeks or 10 days or whatever. But, you know, there's a certain time frame where they just get comfortable and they know their gig and they know where they're safe. And I would any day or their hunt. I think I've even said this exact same thing before. I'd rather hunt a duck in freaking on southern Louisiana in the end of January that just showed up to that spot than I would a duck who's been sitting on the same lake in South Dakota for 10 days, without a doubt. Yeah. The one thing that I, I wouldn't agree or disagree necessarily, I mean, it's um, – but the one thing I do see is if you are – in the south and you're hunting a field and you're in some type of blind um like a late not a layout but a uh sled blind something above ground mm-hmm. you know, and you watch a flight of snows come to you um and let's say they're in a straight line from left to right coming yep. right at you as they get to about 300 yards of where you're sitting in that sled blind mm-hmm. you'll you can watch them split and they will not fly over that blind and to me that's an educated bird yeah there's a reason they're you know, splitting or veering and not flying directly over. We and then they the, get by you and they get right back together. Yeah. We get the same thing though. You'd be shocked. I mean, it, we do get the same thing a lot of times, even with Canada's, even with ducks. Like once, you know, like it's hard to explain it being up here, but I've, and I'm not, I'm certainly haven't spent a ton of time hunting down south, but enough. And I've hunted from basically the Canadian border to the southern edge of South Dakota a very lot. And most people would consider that to be the top of the flyway. And it, we're not, but we're, I, I mean, I, I would argue that we're not, we're definitely at the bottom. But we have a lot of, we get a lot of pressure in certain areas of our stuff. And those birds get super educated if they've been here for a while. But man, like as soon as you get a fresh batch in, you get that first few days. Yeah. And they're just dumb. But if those same birds that were dumb 
four days ago, if they're rafted up out on the main lake of a big marsh, all of a sudden, after they've had that seen that same thing for three or four days, they're not dumb anymore. They got educated. <laughs> yeah, they got educated yeah. real quick. And the thing in in the the difference that I do see in the southern side of life versus uh, up here is that we tend to not those aren't like our ducks all year. Like we get a more of a migration where you guys get huge pushes in. And then those ducks sit there for probably longer periods because there's only so far south that they can go or are gonna go. And then mm-hmm. that's where, where they're they driven. and yeah, and that's where they are. Like they're gonna yeah. sit on such and such lake inside of a public hunting area for maybe a couple weeks at a time, and then maybe they get pushed off because it gets cold or it gets warm and they go back north. But then when they go back north again. All of a sudden, those things, they're not educated again, and they're going to be very susceptible to getting shot for <laughs> two or three or four days. So it's just a weird, it's kind of a, a, it's weird how they work. I mean, it makes total sense when you think about it because they just don't know the rules of the game yet when it comes to that particular spot. But yeah, man, we use the term new ducks. Yeah, you know? new ducks. Um, That's exactly we're, it. We're watching freeze lines and, you know, weather patterns and stuff like that. And you're like, you're, you're, you're hoping for new ducks and that's what you're talking about is yep. not is ducks that aren't educated on your particular spot yet. Yep. And you're hoping for a sunny day and you know, these yeah. ducks are looking for woods to get out and rest in and um, you know, and all the stars align and you have a great hunt, but new ducks is the term that we, yeah, is what you're referring to. Hard. We call them, we call them workers. It's an yeah, old, it's an old Barney, old Barney Caliph term from one of the old take them videos. And, you just know you can see it in what and how they and how they fly and their attitude and just in their general like flight path, whether you have a chance or whether they are just beelining it to a certain spot and that's where they're going. So, yeah, yeah, <clears throat> yeah it is a uh, it's it's all different, but it, it's kind of all the same no matter where you are. So. It's pretty so, difficult no matter where you are. It's yeah. bottom line. You know, yeah, they're, <laughs> well, they're wild animals much. that are spending every, I mean, these, you know, up here, these ducks aren't getting hunted every day, but yet they're being hunted by something, whether it's us or an eagle or who knows. I mean, so they're alert every single day and they're, that's what they're basing their lives on. So they have to be aware of what's going on. So they're not stupid. I, you know, and I'll even go so far as to say is, our opening weekend up here, you know, ever people are going to assume that these ducks are just stupid and you can stand out in the open and shoot them. It's not that like even our opening weekends. I mean, you have to be hidden and you have to be, you know, you have to do things right. Like it's, it's not like it's going to be here in the next, over the next two weeks for us, but they're, they don't just give it up and they're not committing suicide. They're not flying into what they see as danger so it's you know they're they're not they're not as smart as they're going to be but they're not dumb by any means so yeah but uh yeah so like does that is where you started hunting isn't in the woods i mean would you say like how much of like your hunting has been in the woods versus out of it yeah so i was my dad um was a was a I mean, he loved to duck hunt. That's what he did and fish. But, you know, he didn't have the money to own land or lease land 
this is in the seventies, you, you know, early, yeah. early seventies and through the eighties. So he just, you know, naturally gravitated towards public land. And this is all pre, you know, GPS, pre satellite, you know, really even pre, you know, ATV time. So you're walking or boating. And, uh, so he, you know, he had some, some holes on public land that was, you know, back then secret. And the only way you knew they were secret because nobody else ever showed up there. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so, uh, you know, it was, it was a lot of work cause it was a long, long walk. Um, we'd drag a boat, uh, you know, and chain it to a tree and leave it in their little John boat. Um, yeah. cause you know, they had some flooded timber, some what I guess you'd call a break or a slough kind of big cypress trees. Um, I don't know, pretty picturesque uh, yep. type place, but too deep to wade maybe yep. in certain spots. So he'd, he'd, he'd uh, drag a John boat in there, chain it to a tree and, uh, you know, pull it out then in the season. But, you know, that's where I kind of cut my teeth. I mean, he, he taught me um, how to do all that. And, you know, I'd say I was, I don't remember exactly. I don't know, probably nine or 10. Um, and I mean, I remember him putting uh, his old canvas waders, probably the smallest size he could find was a seven mm-hmm. or eight. And, you know, I could probably fit in the, you were swimming in them. Of it. Yeah. But, uh, you know, so he'd put them on me and he'd roll them down and he would get a, a braided leather belt and he would just cinch that sucker around my waist as tight as he could. And, uh, and so that's how I started, you know, he just kind of drug me along and, um, yeah, I remember freezing my tail off and there were some good hunts, uh, a lot of not good hunts, but just, you know, hearing the calling and just, I just, I loved it. I liked it. And uh, one of the first hunts I do remember, it was just he and I, in a in a flooded green tree area. And, um, you know, the first time I remember just a really big group of ducks coming through the trees and, and landing all around us. And I don't remember how old I was, but I remember knowing enough that you don't move and you don't shoot until he says to, right. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, finally, you know, we're watching, he's just letting these ducks come, letting them come. And finally I probably moved and they, you know, one picks up and he says, shoot. And I do remember I was shooting a junior, uh, uh, 20 gauge little, you know, youth model shotgun. And I remember yep. killing what I remember as my first mallard on that hunt. Um, <laughs> you know, and then, uh, uh, I was always blowing a duck call in the house. You know, it really wasn't about killing for him. He had gotten past that point, matured to, you know, just appreciate different things. And he taught me that, you know, like it's, it's so much more about pulling the trigger and what's, what's on that strap. Um, and, and calling was a big part of that. And, uh, you know, he took me to the world's the first time, uh, when I was 12, Alvin Taylor, uh, Taylor made duck calls, oh, yeah. you know, yep. they set up, he bought me a cedar call. Um, that's the, my, the first call I remember you know, actually ever having, um, at you know, that time it was probably 45 bucks, that's 65, a, 60 that's, bucks. That's a not a very money, popular you know? wood. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I was just, I was just around it a lot. And then he got into the contest scene and, uh, you know, he finished second in the Mississippi state like five years in a row. He just couldn't quite get over the hump to qualify, uh, but you know, he's very well respected in that world. He made a ton, a lot of his best friends, um, are, are from this, you know, comp calling days. He ran the Mississippi state and regional for about seven years. And so naturally, you know, I kind of, I mean, I gravitated towards that and participated and did my fair share of it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he, you know, he was the guy that had a duck call in his pocket, you know, 365 days a year. Um, just how he was. 
never made one but yep. he just you know he loved it loved the tool and very the tool. very few guys have made them but man it's one of those things that i know there's there's people that like for me everything that i do when it involves hunting well i should say almost everything involves calling animals whether it's mallards turkeys elk geese whatever it is the only thing that i've done I think I'm kind of hooked on now that doesn't involve calling is chasing mule deer. And, yeah. but everything else involves that interaction with that calling. There's just something about it that it, I mean, man, since like, I'm the same way since I was like eight years old, nine years old, I had a duck call. I had, yeah. a, I had a Fox and that was my first one. And just blowing that thing in, I don't think I ever ever even saw a duck turn until <laughs> I was probably like 20. And yeah. I do remember, I remember the first time I saw a duck turn to a duck call and I pointed out to my cousin who was with me and then we were like, that worked. And ever since <laughs> my duck hunting, my duck hunting changed from that moment on in terms of how I thought about it and how I blew a call. But man, like there's, it's amazing to me what the calling side of life brings people to and how it keeps them in like this side, like this part of the, the world. And like, they're super passionate about it. And I can't say there's people who, who don't, who that aren't callers that aren't good or passionate duck hunters, but most of the guys that I know that are very passionate about it are also dudes that are very proficient on a duck call. Yeah. Um, I can relate to the, so I mean, so obviously, I mean, obviously I blow a duck call almost every day of the year. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just, just, it's what I do. It's what I love. So I have a passion for, um, on the flip side of that, you know, I love to turkey hunt absolutely love it and but the first time i pick up my turkey call Mm -hmm. that year is probably the night before opening day and i have to dig through my you know my (laughs) vest to find it and so i get but i don't but i feel like i'm okay at it you know i mean i I know how to kill turkeys and you know my fair share and i love that interaction turkeys it's not something i do i mean i don't blow it or use a turkey call every day so Um, some guys do diaphragm or box or or uh i, I like a diaphragm because i like to have okay, my hands good. free okay um, yeah i agree personally yep. um you know it just it just works for me um i'll you know i'll use something else to locate yep. maybe i'll, I'll, I'll use, use a box, box. i, I use, keep a box with yep. me um i love box calls for you locating. Know my buddies uh um they really like the pots the slates you know yeah. um, if we have two people yep. honey we will use that. But if I'm by myself, I'm going to have, you know, a diaphragm call. Cause you know, you never know. Sometimes they gobble all the way to you. Sometimes they just slip in and you gotta, you gotta be ready. It doesn't um, take much to make like turkeys are a different deal. It doesn't take much where to, for you to not be able to move or be pinned down and have that thing in your mouth and not trying to finagle a box call or a slate call is, is an issue. So, Yeah. So that's yeah. what I, you know, I mean, I've made a few uh, slates um, either last year or year before, 
they were they were more decorative. I actually I put together some stained glass and you know for the soundboard. Oh, yep. And use clear glass on top, and you know, so it was it was really more like you could hold it up, and it you know it looked like it a looked window. Yeah. They were nice. They they were. I mean, I killed a turkey with one, sold a few, but uh, really just not my deal. You know, I love as far as the turkey call making. I you know stick with duck calls. Yeah, I hear. I would if I ever get involved, and in, I've become interested myself in like making my own. Like I'm not going to get in business doing it like you are. But man, I think it would be cool to make my own just someday, just to like to play with all the tone board angles, and, and I'm sure I would probably have fifty to go through before I got one that I liked because I'm pretty, I'm you pretty particular. Process, yeah, I'm pretty particular in my dot calls in terms of what I like. I mean, I got a, I have a lot of what people would consider very good duck calls that sit on my shelf that I would never take duck hunting with me because I think they sound like crap. Yeah, or I've got like four that I like. That's and just so weird because everybody, everybody, you know, has a different air presentation into mm-hmm. a call. Um, you know, we say blow hot air into a call. What does that mean? Well, yeah. you know, the, the air that you fog a window with, uh, that's hot air. Yeah. Okay. Well, how, how do I go <sighs> into a duck call? I mean, it just, it's, it's difficult to tell somebody how to blow one, but you can still be getting hot air into a call. This, the, you know, same air I'm putting into a call. But your your tone is totally different than mine. The yeah, back pressure that you like is well, different than what I like. And um, their tongue, their tongue tones. is a little bit different, and their hand is a little bit different. It takes very little to make a big difference in that stuff, and people don't get that. Yeah, mm. uh, for sure. I mean, I think it's, I think part of it is the way our ears are, just as humans. So, kind of, if you look at it, in, you know, like music. Why do I like a song, and you don't like that song? Is it yeah. the chords and the notes and the the melodies and you know all that? You yeah. hear something different than I do, yeah. and I think I mean just a duck calls a musical instrument, and everybody hears and likes different tones. Um, hence why you know you have four you like. I could pick up one of the others that you don't feel like fits you, and it could be my favorite call out of your collection from yeah, a sound standpoint for sure. Yeah, you know, and that's a challenge. That's a challenge as a call maker is you know um, you're mailing out calls and how do you you know, you do your best to, to be inquisitive, uh, you know, to your customers, you know, you know what do you like? Like back pressure, you like, you hard. I mean, you know, you ask all these right questions to try to come up with that perfect call. Um, and at the end of the day, a lot of times, you know, uh, I send sound files, um, you know, to my customers, uh, of, of the call. So they show the high, you know, the high, the low, the range from there and say, all right, you know, it's in that call. Yeah, this is how I blow the call. It's up to you to get out of it. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so it's in there. Um, it's 50% call, and the other 50% is the operator. And, um, um, you know, yeah. you do your best to send it out, you know, like uh, like somebody wants it. But, you know, that's, it's a challenge. It's, you know, well, beyond it's that. to, you know, have people to my shop. Man, um, I've spent man, the- I can tune that sucker for you right there with you sitting in front of me. We're going to be good. Yeah, I've spent, right, I've spent enough time in retail and seen enough people re- try to return duck or goose calls that they say, oh, this doesn't work. And I'll say, oh, well, let me check it out quick and pick it up. And it sounds amazing. And you see their yeah. eyes and you see their eyes go, oh, well, uh, it didn't work before. But <laughs> OK, let's go. Let's story, go yeah. over to the call <laughs> booth here and we'll talk about duck calls a little bit. And then the next, next thing you know, they're blowing it. It sounds great. And they leave and they're happy. So, yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, you know, my buddy, uh, can't call him. Uh, yep. Yeah, that dude one, one has got the <laughs> most with a duck call. amazing <laughs> sound on a duck call. One of, one of the most amazing sounds on a duck call ever. So he, uh, we were at a contest together and this was, this was a while ago, many years ago. And, uh, he was, he was, he had his own call line at this point. And, uh, the hobo was, so he said, Josh, he said, uh, yeah, he said, you know, this guy just sent me his call back and you know, he said it doesn't sound right. And this, that, and the other, and it's like, yeah, well, what's it sound like? He blew it. So, yeah, it sounds pretty good to me. He blew that call. He didn't touch it, the read or the insert and, yep. uh, or the court. And he blew that call in the contest and won the contest with it. It's funny because yeah, uh, said it back. said it didn't sound right. I don't know if you follow uh, Field Hudnall on uh, Instagram, but he put a post up just a couple days ago about that exact same thing when he worked for Zinc and he had a customer returned duck call that he took and won the world live duck with that exact call. Did he really? Yep. I'm like, you know, that's, I'll tell you, man, it, it's like I said, you know, um, I mean, you're dealing with a musical instrument and that is the biggest challenge for a call maker is to get it right for the guy. You know, it may fit you, man. It may be the best call. You wow. know, it just you put it on your lander today as a call maker. And you want the set that guy that you're sending it to, you want him to feel the same way. And, you know, some you know, of it, and, and that's uh, so we're always striving for what I'm always striving for. Um, it's impossible because a lot of it has to do with a caller should be able to adapt to their call. Because you can, like, I feel like I'm competent enough that you can give me a super clean sounding call, which I don't like, but I can make it sound close to what I want. Or you can give me, well, I, mean, I almost, I don't think I've ever blown a call. It's too raspy. But you could give me a super deep, thick, raspy call, and I can make it sound pretty much like I want it to by throwing a little less voice into it. Yeah. And I don't, and because you, like, you can't, you're never going to get a duck call. I mean, unless a guy goes into Cabela's and walks, and if, if you're or Max, where they have, a hundred different uh, high-end duck calls and you try every one of them, it's going to be almost impossible to try to nail that sucker for an individual guy because so many guys don't have that control over how they blow a duck call. And you, yeah, know, you know, you have that from, you know, experience and practice, you know, yeah, but that's, I mean, that's like a lot of guys who are buying duck calls do not have that. And I'll say this and you don't have to, because, you're selling duck calls and I'm not selling duck calls, but most people who buy duck calls are not very good duck callers. And I mean, like there's, there's a, a switch that's flipped in your duck calling repertoire where all of a sudden, you know how to control almost any duck call given to you. Like I'm assuming if I gave you 10 of my duck calls, you're going to make most of them sound good. I can make most of them sound good. Some of them I like a lot more and I have to, I don't have to work as hard to make them sound good. And those are the ones I like and the ones I blow. And then there's people who aren't going to be able to make, you know, nine or 10 of those sound good. And the one that they do sound good is kind of good because they just don't, they haven't spent that time and that there's a certain thing in that, in that time frame that you're practicing that all of a sudden it just happens. You know, it's like, <laughs> 
I don't clicks. Something yeah, like, I clicks. wish I knew. I wish I was a really better. I wish I was a guitar player so I could be like, um, you go from Stevie Ray Vaughan to like <laughs> the Nickelback guitar player. You know, like the Nickelback guitar player is probably a pretty good guitar player, even though he probably gets no respect. But he's not Stevie Ray Vaughan or yeah. whoever there is. And there's a difference there. And, and Stevie Ray Vaughan could probably make a Walmart guitar sound amazing. And the Nickelback guy would make it sound like a Walmart guitar. So, yeah. so what, so, you know, when you look at that, um, from a call maker standpoint is, you know, so, so sure. Everybody is, is not going to stand up on the world stage. You know, have that ability, mm-hmm. um, you know, and that translates to hunting situations. I just use the world as, you know, as an example. So what do I do? Um, how do I, how do I educate people? And that's what it's all about is, you know, so, so if a guy can't, so how do you, how do you teach him how to do that? Um, Especially over the phone. Variety of ways. You know, we, we started the call nights back a couple of years ago where I just, I was getting a lot of questions. Um, you know, Josh, you know, would you work with me while calling? So I decided just to have a night where you just invite people over um, and let's just, let's load up calls and I'll work with you. And, you know, I had some of those guys that, that I know that are very good callers uh, um, come and they, you know, we kind of split up into groups. You got a dozen or so people come and, um, and then, and it was a success, you know, it was free. I bought some food for everybody and we just hung out and had a great time. And uh, so we do it again the next month and it, doubles in size and the next thing i know we got 40 people at the shop wow and now you can't do individual lessons you know mm-hmm. oh yeah now so you're then speaking that was when the whole to night, you know having started having guests you know billy starks and you know john's been my guest john stevens a couple times and uh david st john uh um, oh, yeah we're gonna do another one actually in, in uh, november 1st mike lewis you know, wrote the Arkansas duck call book. Yeah. It's going to be my guess. So, so then we actually, and then, you know, I put on a novice contest in my backyard, a meat calling contest. And just to give people calling contests are extremely intimidating. Oh, you know, unbelievable. Extremely intimidating. Unbelievable. So I, I said, all right. So, you know, with that in mind uh, and with the platform that I had with call nights and, and making calls here, why not just, all right, let's host a, let's host a contest. Let's put on a novice contest for guys that are first timers. I think the parameters, I can't remember, like you couldn't have ever placed in the top three or so in any contest, you know, ever to, to be able to blow in this thing. And what we did was we went, you know, working up to the contest. Uh, I'd have guys over and work on their routine and, and teach them a routine. And, you know, they'd email me sound files or text me sound files and I'd, you know, give them feedback. And so it was kind of like that whole prep, um, up to the contest, we get to contest day. And I say, you know, guys, here's what we call the, you know, the bullpen, the bus, where you're going to call it. It's where you're going to sit. You know, here's how we do it. You're going to draw a number and this is how you're going to go, you know, and sequence your first round. Like you all walk up to the stage. Now you can't turn, you know, here's your light. You can't, you know, uh, turn this far, this way, as far this way. You can't talk on stage. Like basically just a walkthrough for a guy that's never done it. Um, and I'm telling you, it, it, even if in that situation, it's your first contest. Those guys were nervous uh, and girls. Oh. We had some girls blowing it. And, um, it but, is, you know, so, so that's where I feel my obligation is as a call maker. If you're, if everybody's not a great caller, you know, provide education and, and provide teaching moments for people uh, to become a better caller. 
um, you know, my, my messages are wide open. I, I put my cell phone number out there. People can call me, you know, I have tons of guys that send me sound files of, uh, of their call their hunting call. Um, so, you know, what do you think? Well, and, and if you do that, I, I'm going to be honest, you know, there's no sense of me telling you that that's awesome if it's not. Um, it's but if it's not, to I'm going to tell you how to fix it. People don't something to work on. Receiving that information is hard to do because every, everybody, no matter if they've spent five minutes practicing their duck call or if they've spent 500 hours practicing a duck call, they're all in their own mind a very good duck caller. And breaking down, <sighs> breaking down that wall to hear that is very tough sometimes. Yeah, if, if someone's yeah, coming to you. Like think that they're probably not going to reach out for some help, yeah. honestly. Yeah. It's the guys that are, uh, yeah, hopefully. That think that they're reaching out. Yeah. But, but that all came because I, I was afforded that opportunity. You know, Rick, uh, Rick Dunn, uh, the guys at the Echo Shop, Butch, all the guys at the R&T Shop. Greg Hood in Clarksdale, Mississippi. All those guys. That's a name you don't hear very often anymore. Greg to Hood. work with me. That guy was home. dominant back in the, what, early 90s? What was that? Greg, I said so Greg Hood is a name you don't hear very often anymore. That guy was like super dominant. Yeah. And had some awesome, had some yeah. awesome duck calls back in like the early 90s. And I remember when. I think I, he used to be in Max catalog. And that's where I saw his calls. I just, I tried one day and man, they were awesome. I think I bought one, but that's yeah. one of those, that's like a blast from the past for me. Yeah. He's out, man. He helped me a tremendous amount, you know, but, but like, you know, I mean, those guys would take and still will, those guys will take the time to, to help you um, become a better caller. And so, you know, I feel that's our obligation as call makers is, you know, if you want a guy to learn how to blow a duck call, right? We'll teach him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so I really, uh, I try to, you know, I mean, like I said, uh, that's the other reason, you know, came up with this mobile duck call shop that we're, that I'm doing. And part of that is obviously the experience of watching your call get made uh, right in front of you um, from wood blanks you select out of the trailer to then translating into tuning the call for you right then and there in front of you and working with you, you know, on your calling. Um, if you want it, um, some guys do, some guys don't, but, uh, you know, offering, offering what, you know, um, you know, there's a lot of guys that have forgot more than I ever know about a duck call, but you know, what I do know, I'm more than happy to pass along and, and try to help a guy get better. Well, you know, it, it's one of those things that it's, it, it's sometimes hard to offer up, uh, knowledge and you have to, you have to offer up the knowledge that you've learned in a somewhat tactful way. Because, I mean, duck hunters are a very proud group. And it's one of the things I learned working in retail for years. And, you know, I was always the duck call guy wherever I worked. I taught a lot of guys to bull calls. And and a lot of people are very receptive. And a lot of people are not very receptive. And you need to learn how to do it. Not only how to actually do the teaching, but how to get people to want to understand that you're trying to help them and not just be, you know, like say, I know how to do this and you don't, or I'm better because duck hunters are a very proud group when it comes to almost everything, whether it's putting out decoys or shooting abilities or calling abilities or whatever it is. And so all that stuff, like if a guy can learn how to do that well and help people, 
that was one of the coolest things that I had when I worked at Cabela's is having people come back in later <coughs> on after I worked with them and then say, you know, hey, you helped, you you sold me this call. It was probably a Tim Grounds Polycarb Super Mag goose call or a Echo Polycarb Timber back in the day. I bought that and then I, I learned how to use it and I did what you said and then I bought this and now and then all of a sudden you listen and they're like in two years later they're an awesome caller and you're like and that's like super satisfying thing and it's kind of goes slightly against how I think most duck hunters feel of keeping a lot of that stuff to themselves but it's so rewarding to help, help someone that to to get into that next step because man, like when you start doing that, those folks are taking a whole different level of duck hunting appreciation, I would say into their realm. And like for a guy like you, all of a sudden, you know, now they're going to buy a duck call or another duck call. And those are the dudes that are out there doing the same thing for other people, hopefully down the road. So yeah, yeah, you hope so. I mean, you know, and, and like I said, I mean, it, it was done for me. Um, I mean, I, so, you know, why wouldn't I share that information yep. and, well, and pass sure. it along and, you know, try to make people better hunters and better callers and, um, uh, you know, it's, it's a fun part of what I do. Uh, that's for sure. So we never even really talked about like your actual call making. So, <laughs> so you know, Josh is, what so you did you were in the corporate world for quite a few years and then just all of a sudden just like to me like I'm like I didn't follow you early on, but to me like you kind of just bust on the scene and here you are and you've got a I would say a very successful uh small shop call operation. And you know, there's a lot of guys doing it and and the reason that I didn't probably know about you and follow you or even look into other guys like you is because there's so many people doing it all of a sudden, you know, 15 years, 12, 12, 13, 14, 15 years ago when I was like, when I personally was very heavily involved in the call world and I was blowing every which call under the sun and trading a call for this and trading the call for that. And, just, I mean, I was like back then I was had a duck call in my hand. Like you said, like your dad did, like I always had a duck call on me. They're in my truck and a goose call is in my truck. And man, I wanted to do this and that on a duck call and a goose call. And then there was a very limited number of manufacturers of duck calls. Like you could maybe get, if you were really into it, maybe find 20 guys that were readily available to that had calls out there and now over the last five six seven years i mean i can't even imagine how many guys are making calls on a small time basis and so you see that you're almost overwhelmed and that's kind of what i was i was like man I, just all these guys come up that they're not rich in tone and they're not echo and they're not you know who feel proof and they're not these big well-established brands like eh, i tried a couple of them and i just was never impressed with them and then i was talking to uh kyle jones and he mentioned your name along with uh 
a couple other manufacturers and he's like those they're very good calls I'm like okay well so i kind of looked into your stuff a little more then i listened to your song i was like okay this guy knows how to blow a call that's a good sign and he sounds good and then i'm like i kind of started to take notice more of a lot of the smaller call makers and pay attention to what the calls sound like and that's kind of how i got into you so like I mean, what exactly like prompted you to like go from just being a duck caller to all of a sudden like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to be in the call business. There's, there's got to be a transition period in there. Yeah. I mean, you made a comment earlier, um, you know, that you would just like to make your own call maybe one day, Mm -hmm. you know, just to go kill ducks with, um, never to sell one, never do anything. Well, that's, that's how it started for me. Uh, it was essentially, it's essentially, I don't say a bucket list thing. It was just back, uh, I don't know, 10 years or so ago, a friend of mine uh, started hand turning a few calls and um, he only made 10 or 15, but he called me over one day and uh, he said, Hey, you know, would you come, you know, kind of give me your opinion on it? It's back when I was in the contest calling fairly, you know, heavily, I guess. And so I went over there and, and it was the first time that I had really, I guess, seen a, a truly, you know, um, you know, hand turn call um, from start to finish. I didn't, I mean, I watched him turn it. He already had him turn, but I saw the lathe and I, and I all of a sudden had an appreciation for what I was holding then, you know, yeah. when I left, I said, you know, one day, um, one day I'm going to make my own call and I'm going to go hunt. I'm going to kill some mallards with it. And uh, that's, that's how it started. It was just an idea of uh, to see if I can make one and go fool ducks and, killed them you know and uh so i did i set out to make one and you know i made one and just made my dad one and um you know started with a flat jig you know doesn't give you any sound so it's very frustrating uh oh. trying to come up with a well first of all i'll call it a make a sound and then a good sound um that's a that's a process in itself but it it wasn't something that i, I got tired of it was kind of the more i did it the more it became a mission that you're going to come up with a good final product just for yourself, you know? And so, um, so I finally came up with that call and like I said, made my dad one and showed a, you know, my best friend. And he's like, well, you know, if you'll make me one, I, I want to be the first one to ever buy one. I said, well, I ain't never going to sell these things, you know, I, whatever. <laughs> so I made Wrong. one and, uh, but I just, I couldn't get away from it. I, I really, I just, I loved it. I enjoyed the whole process and so much. And so I kept going and, uh, you know, all of a sudden Facebook becomes, uh, you know, viable mm-hmm. source. You know, it used to be forums and, yep. uh, you know, 2012, 13, 14 and there Facebook, all of a sudden you have these pages, uh, yeah, yeah. which you can promote yep. what you're doing. And so, you know, I started selling a few calls and, uh, you know, finally had a, had an insert that I was happy with that I had a jig made off of, um, in that first year, uh, Seth Fields got a hold of one of my calls, you know, went blue in the world live duck in Maryland. Uh, it was his first year to compete. My first year making calls. Nobody knows who either one of us are at that time. And I'll be dang if he doesn't place in the top five with, you know, first time guy, first time call maker. And so it was, you know, I raised a few eyebrows that year. And that same year, uh, you know, email comes across my desk about, you know, this thing, garden and gun magazines doing made in the South awards and, had an outdoor division and, 
you know, I thought, why not? Why not send some stuff in? And so I sent one of my cord wrap calls and a captive ring call in and I'll be dang if I didn't get selected to be in the magazine. And, um, you know, so you get some validation there from the, the contest stuff from sound, you get some aesthetic validation from, you know, a worldwide magazine. And really all of a sudden, whether I wanted to be or liked it or didn't like it, I was, I was a business, you know, and, uh, people start calling wanting to buy something that I make. And it just progressed from there. Um, but yeah, you know, I was in the corporate world for a local cat dealership in sales for 12 years and, um, you know, doing duck calls at night on the weekends. And, uh, it, it finally got to the point where I just had to make a decision. I was so far behind on orders and, you know, um, it's kind of one of those, you know, follow your dreams, big leap of faith, kind of look in the mirror one day and say, you know, how do you, how are you going to tell your kids to follow their dreams if, you know, daddy doesn't have the guts to do it. So I made the decision, you know, to, to follow my dream and my passion. Um, you know, the, the Filson thing came out, came about, um, you know, the creative director just, I, I guess had been following me on Instagram and I get a message randomly one day saying, Hey, you know, would you possibly be interested in making us a small batch of calls? And yeah, you know, that's taken off or into, you know, the second batch with them and, uh, done some stuff for, you know, turn a call out of the mossy oak tree, uh, from mossy oak and, Hold on. So, like, maybe people maybe didn't catch that, but so you actually made calls out of the wood from the original mossy oak brand, the tree that, like, they would have considered to be, like, Toxie Hayes and his dad would have considered to be, like, their tree. Yeah, it was actually called, it was on their their camp, the turkey hunting camp, and it was called the mossy oak tree. Uh, it's kind of a meeting place for them. And, uh, that was what they named, you know, the, the company after yep. was that tree. And, uh, that little company known as Mossy Oak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so they, they contacted me and, and, you know, the tree is, uh, you know, died and they had it milled up and, um, they said, you know, here's what we got going on. It was a benefit for catch a dream and St. Jude, um, and so, you know, Daniel Hayes came down and took some pictures of the process and, um, you know, they auctioned it off and, you know, the call sold for, you know, I think $4,000 and it raised a lot of money for charity. And, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm just fortunate, man. It's a, a lot of right place, right time. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, I, I try to my best to put out a very quality product aesthetically and sound quality wise, you know, com, you know, both. And, uh, yeah, so here we are, you know, um, I've got three shops. I don't know why <laughs> I can only be one at one time. We got a shop in my, you know, Raymond, obviously we got a shop in, uh, Charleston, South Carolina, which is, uh, in a business called circle seven, which is connected with gardening gun okay. buildings over there. And then I have my mobile shop, which is, uh, it's really fun, uh, really cool experience. I'm going to be on the road a lot this fall, uh, mainly at private duck camps. Um, so you know. I saw that, and it's it's basically an enclosed trailer that you've turned into like kind of a man cave type of thing looking. If you were just yeah. to look at it from the inside real quick, it's almost like a man cave thing. It's got wood finished and it's a nice it doesn't look like an enclosed enclosed trailer when you're in there and, no. and it's your your workshop where you produce calls 
Yeah. Yeah. So if, you know, honestly, it was my sister's idea. We were, we were at some function one night and just, uh, she's kind of, she's, uh, she loves to travel. She lived in New York city for, um, you know, 15 years and, uh, just recently moved back. My dad, you know, got really ill. And, um, so we were, we were just, uh, we were at dinner or something one night and we were talking about kind of what her next move was going to be. And she was talking about, you know, maybe, maybe this whole van life thing where she just travels the country, oh, yeah. and, you know, does yep. her thing, whatever. That's just kind of how she yep. is. And, She's like, you know, you could do that with duck calls. You can make a shop that you just travel around the country and, you know, people that can't come to your shop, well, you know, take the experience to them. Yep. It's like that is the single greatest idea you've ever had. Oh, hell yeah. I can't believe nobody's ever done this. So literally the next day I went to a trailer place about an hour from my house and uh, I'm fully prepared to have to customize, order and take out a loan to buy a brand new trailer. And the only used trailer the guy had on the lot was the one that I bought for my shop. But the guy had previously purchased it, purchased it new from him. I was going to make a camper out of it. So basically it already had some oh, electrical wow. run. It had the indoor outdoor carpet in the bottom. It was insulated and it was just <laughs> the right size, you know, that I was looking for. And so obviously I built the workbenches and had to add some electrical outlets. And uh, my next door neighbor has a sawmill. So we milled up the cedar that you see on the walls yeah. uh, when you look at the pictures of it. But, you know, I, I'm just the kind of guy, like, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right. And because uh, if I'm going to put it out there uh, for people to see and, and you know, and if I'm going to, you know, charge you something, I'm going to offer you a, a first class, world class experience. Yeah. And part of that, the first step of that is creating a shop that's, you know, first class. I've, and and so yeah. that was, you know, the thought process that went into it. It took, uh, it took about six months to, to get it all together from the wrap, you know, to, uh, get the, the wood milled, to get the tools, to get everything bolted down. It was like, it was, it was a fun project. It was like, every time I'd step out and think I was done, I was like, well, crap, there's one more thing. There's a one more cigar uh, box that I go screw to the, every, you know, so when I take off, it didn't go flying across the trailer, you know, and, those, those are the kind of things that just kill you in a project. Like even in my duck boat that I built, I would be like, okay, I'm I'm almost done. And three weeks later, I'm still almost done. Yeah. <laughs> and the next week, oh, I'm real cool. I'm just about done. And then you finally finish because you've got to, there's all those little things. And like in that trailer that you have, it, it's like that. It's like, it's got all the details and all the cool stuff. So I can imagine like, oh, I need to finish this little piece and that little piece. And like, you're never done until you're like super like, beyond happy with it. Yeah, because it's still it, a work in progress. Yeah, because literally. it's something I got done and then I look around, I'm like, well, crap. I don't even wear a, no, I mean, you can't sit. Like, you know, I don't have chairs oh, in here. Man. So then, you know, of course, I mean, I could have just got some, I guess, regular folding chair or something. But, you know, I want to order some nice chairs with my logo on them. And, yeah. I mean, we, we, those small things just, you know, they make a difference. Um and I just don't like to, or I'm not going to, I'm not going to cut corners. Um, yep. I'm sure it costs a little more money and, you know, all that. But the end result is, you know, what you see now. And I'm very happy with it. Um, I took it to Real Foot last weekend and, you know, a lot of other call makers came in and hung out while I was turning calls. And it was a blast. It was an absolute blast. It was the most fun I've had uh, since I've started making calls, um, you know, you're surrounded, you're surrounded by like-minded individual individuals that are appreciative of what you're doing. Probably. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, and um, I mean, I had guys in there literally from basically the time I opened it up to the time that I, you know, the whole thing kind of shut down. There was folks in there either talking or I was making a call or, you know, something going. It was kind of like a little meeting spot, you know, even though it was kind of tucked in my little corner away from all the, you know, a lot of the booths and stuff. Um, you know what I would probably liken it to? Um, do you, are you aware of Sam Soholt? I am. I was about to bring his name up. Yeah. His public land bus. Yep. I, it would be just like, because I'm not super great friends, but I've spent, like, I've gone a couple hunts with him and spent some time on that bus. And it's just like that. It's the same thing. It's, he's made the bus more than just a bus. It's got its own life of itself. And him as a person is taking it to a whole other level. And all of a sudden this bus is this unbelievable living quarters, hunting camp type thing that has serves another purpose just beyond a mode of transportation for him. And it's, like I haven't been I've every time I've been with him, it's just been me and him or me and him and a buddy. But like when he goes to these events, it's the thing that people gather to. Like you watch him at like um I think it was the BHA rendezvous. Yeah. And there was another thing too, where was that? There was one other deal where he was at, and it was like everybody was gathered at his bus because it's just like the cool thing. Like it's just a school bus. And it's pretty damn pimped out inside. Yeah, it's, it's way more than a school bus. It's, oh yeah, <laughs> but it's in like from the outside, it's a school bus, and when you get inside, yeah. it's awesome. And you look at it, and like that's where people go to, and that's and like, and if you go to the duck hunting world, that's your like mo like because duck calls. I would say duck calls are like the thing, more so than decoys, more so than any other piece of gear that guys that duck hunt not gravitate to but man like we just are like i don't know anybody who doesn't like duck calls and to have the a thing this piece of equipment that's right there and a dude making duck calls like awesome sounding cool looking duck calls right there like how cool is that like that never been done. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, yeah. I mean, that's the whole, the whole purpose of it is, um, you know, when somebody's passionate about something, it, it can, you know, that, that, that can transfer, uh, you know, and when you, when you see, hopefully when, when you're watching me work and, you know, um, kind of watching me do my thing, you know, make the call and, and tune it and all that, like, hopefully that gets you fired up about that call, you know, I mean, oh, it's, uh, sure. cause it, it's, it's really heartfelt every time I turn a duck call. I mean, it is, I'm starting with a square, a, you know, square piece of wood and uh, I'm putting everything I got into it for that final product, you know, to be as perfect as it possibly can be, um, for somebody, you know, because I realize that you're spending your hard earned money on some a product that I make, first of all, but second of all, and even more importantly is I hope I'm giving you a, you know, a product that you're going to, that becomes an heirloom, right? That, yep. that you're going to pass down to your, your son or your grandson. Um, and then there's a story associated with that call. You know, my dad got this call from 
you know, this guy named Raggio, some somewhere in Mississippi, handmade it, or you know, he he brought he had this mobile shop and he made it in front of my granddad, and and it, well, and it just becomes more than just a duck call, um, for sure. I mean, and you know, and like a guy can even have a cheap junk duck call that becomes more than a duck call. Because that's a lot of that stuff takes on extra value as it's passed down or even if it's not passed down, but just how it was bought. I mean, like I, I still like, I once in a while see my dad's lanyard and he's got the old Jensen on it and it's not, it's not a special call, but I can't give him, I literally cannot give him one of my calls. He won't take them. (laughs) He will not take them. And of course, you know, like functionally speaking, they're way better duck calls. He will not take them. He's yeah. got uh, a Jensen and uh, God, I can't think of the name of the other one. It's a, it's a, it actually sounds pretty decent for what it is, but they take on a whole nother thing. Once like as time goes over and a hunt or two is passed with them and memories are made with them. And then you combine that with having and seeing the duck call made specifically for you mm-hmm. and having some say in how it sounds and how it looks, even if they're not, even if it's not, if you're mobile shop, but just saying, Hey, this is what I want. This is what I like. And then they get that call and they look at it like, Whoa, this isn't just your average call that you go buy at Cabela's off the shelf. So it's a, it's an entirely different thing. And of course, like, I mean, we should maybe even bring up like now, like, I mean, your pricing isn't what you're going to go buy a call for at Cabela's. It's not, it's not a $100 call and people think that's expensive, but you're getting an entirely different thing. It's just like if someone was going to go buy a decoy at a, an event that they watched a guy carve in front of them, they're not going to expect, they shouldn't expect to pay the same for that as yeah. they do for a uh, uh, green head gear, you know, plastic decoy made in bulk. I mean, they're very functional. They do the job. But it's a different side of life, and they're not the same thing. So people- yeah, there's, there's, um, there is definitely a market, obviously, for a CNC call. Um, yeah, like, it, but you're right, millions it's of just, them. It's just something different about it. Um, you know, from a pricing standpoint, I mean, I see from a culturally, just in general, um, people are appreciating whether it's a duck call or hell, I don't know, a decoy or a candle or a writing pen. Yeah. I mean, whatever it yeah, is. anything. People. Jackets. People any of that appreciate, stuff. Yeah. yeah. People are, are, start, are, you know, there's an appreciation for the handmade good. Yep. Um, you know, and, and I mean, truthfully, I don't, I don't make enough calls to be, you know, competition for really anybody, honestly. I mean, um, it's, I don't look at guys as competition, you know, other yeah, call like, makers like your um, competition and is, they may is john stevens himself like that's like those and and those guys who are buying his calls aren't gonna only buy his calls but they're gonna buy your calls too yeah. because they you know, I, they appreciate all of it and they don't want just his but they see the value in his and yours and man to be honest i don't know a lot of guys that are are at that level of and i'm sure there is like other dudes that are at that level, but there's not a lot, but there's some, and they're going to buy all that good stuff, whether it's you or him or whoever the next guy is that are all at that top end level. You know, and they're not going to buy 
the guy who is just started and makes his barrel and buys the echo insert and throws it in. They're not going to buy that call, but they're going to buy all the other high end stuff. And they probably also got several thousand dollars worth of decoys sitting on the shelf in their shop that are that same thing. And they, and it's just, it's a different part of the thing. And, you know, and that's actually one thing I was actually wondering what percentage of your calls do you think are hunted? <clears throat> yeah, I get asked that question fairly often. And I, it, this is, it's strictly a guess. I mean, oftentimes the guy will say, you know, I'm hunting this call. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes just the opposite. Hey, this call is going on my shelf, man. I just want, I just want one of your calls and, um, you know, I want to put it on my shelf, yep. show it off. And I'm, and I'm fine either way. Yep. Um, I just appreciate the fact that you want something that I make. Oh, um, for sure. So I don't know. I would guess it's, I mean, they're all made to hunt with, yep. um, you know, the, the fancy burls and all that they're sleeved. I mean, they're made to hunt with, Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. It's probably 70, 30, 70 get hunted, 30 go on shelves. I, I mean, I'm just cool. that's strictly a guess. I was <laughs> guessing maybe higher. I mean, cause your prices are up there and I would have guessed that maybe more were just putting them on shelves. And I like the fact that they are, uh, they get hunted because um, Ryan Graves, who we both know, he hooked me up with a John Stevens call, and I should actually go check my mail because it might be getting here today. And those calls are not cheap. And I told him, I said, "Dude, I've never, t- I've never seen one, but I, I love it, and I love the idea of it." Mm-hmm. And I said, "I'm going to hunt this. Am I stupid for doing?" That? He said, "Absolutely not. A true, a, a true hunter would do that." I said, "All right." Oh, send it to me. And so I shipped him off the money and it's on its way to me. And I want to hunt that sucker. And I was, I tell you, it's going to sound good. And I was actually thinking, I mean, I was actually thinking to myself, I go, I'm really glad I didn't lose my lanyard two days from now (laughs) (laughs) with, with that call on there. Luckily I found every good list. The utmost respect for John. I'm, I'm glad to call him a friend. Um, you know, he's doing some, he's doing some cool things, uh, you know, not only with R and T, but with, you know, Jay Stevens calls and, yeah. uh, build a brand new shop. It's going to be pretty, pretty freaking cool. Are you going to be at the call of Palooza deal? Um, yeah. Okay. Yes, I can <laughs> say yes. I'm hoping I, if I can say yes. <laughs> Uh, if I, 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 I've known that's going on, so I'll throw a little a dig out for those guys is that they have a uh, huge event. I think it's going in March of this coming year of 2019, a huge call collecting contest thing. Yeah, it's going to be at that place. Uh, pretty cool. Just yeah. event. You yeah. know? And, you know, John, like I was just talking about, you know, I mean, I look at this whole thing. um, like a brotherhood of sorts, you know, uh, there's lots of, lots of duck calls made every day and sold, yeah. and, you know, bought and, you know, um, I don't know. That's, that's my thoughts on it. I just, uh, you know, I would totally agree. It's the same thing with me and, you know, how, whoever many other guys I would consider as peers in the, uh, waterfall photography world. I think yeah. we all get along. We all chat about gear. We, BS most of us and there's a few guys that I don't know I just don't have a connection to but for the most part 
say there's a dozen of us that are very, very deep into it. And I probably know eight or nine of them. And we chat on a somewhat regular basis. And we're, I consider us, like, like you said, more like a brotherhood. Like we all are in it together and you slightly competitors in certain things in terms of like, you just maybe have a little personal pride and, and things. And I get jealous and I see other people's awesome photos and it's not jealousy in a bad way, but it's like, man, I wish I could have gotten that photo and, and you learn from them because of that. And yet you, you like, you're all in it together. And so it's, it's a cool thing. Like I would never see any of those guys and be like, man, I don't like that guy. Cause he takes better photos than me. Like, man, I want to meet that guy because he yeah. takes better photos than me and I can learn from him type yeah. thing. Yeah. I wish, I wish everybody thought that way, you know, about uh, yeah. industries and different things. Um, you know, but I, you know, we're on the same page as that. And I, you know, to go back to something you mentioned earlier about this kind of emergence of call makers, I think you're huh. right. Um, but I also think that with the advent of the platforms of Instagram and Facebook, uh, I think all of a sudden, cause I, I, I come across guys that, it, you know, say they've been making calls for 20 or 30 years that I've never heard of. And, um, I feel like I'm fairly educated coming up through the, you know, the con contest stuff and yeah. you know, what my dad was involved with. It was simply because they weren't at shows cause maybe they just did it as a hobby, you know? Um, so they didn't travel a lot and there just wasn't, you know, that guy's not going to pay for a, a magazine ad in field and stream back in, you know, oh 1995. God, no. no way. Um, so I think the advent of the social media platforms is, well, you're right. There are more call makers. I think you just, they're more visible now. It absolutely, Um, it absolutely blew that industry up. Like it, it took it from a very, very small time thing to a fair amount of people making a fair amount of calls right now. Yeah. It was. And and, and quality stuff. Oh, very quality information out there now. Yeah. Um, You know, as far as how to do it, that, uh, you know, you can, you can, you know, there's guys making gorgeous. There are some flat out artists out there and they're using a duck call as their canvas. I mean, some, I saw some stuff in real foot. My gosh. I mean, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable what guys are doing with duck calls these days. Um, oh, I, I, lo- I love it. Without you know? a doubt. I mean, it's like some of the stuff I don't, I don't think people are, out of line and saying that they don't want to hunt it. Although I, you know, to me, a duck call is something, it's a tool. And so I feel to set something on a shelf is almost a disservice to the call itself. But man, but like it, some it of those things you, you know, look like at them and you're 300 calls. You know, I can't hunt. I can't hunt two or 300 calls. You know, I'm a call collector as well as a yeah. maker. That's true. And I, and I appreciate them for what they are. Um, whether it be the most simple, you know, uh, Coca-Cola call or, you know, the most extravagant, you know, checkered carved, you know, every inlaid scrimshawed call, um, you know, and so you get to reach a point sometimes as, as a collector and have that appreciation for them that, I mean, you're just not you physically can't on every call you get, but you appreciate it just as much, you know? Um, I show all those calls off. Um, I try to get calls from guys, other call makers, because I have a showroom in the front of my shop in Raymond. And people will spend hours in that showroom looking at, 
you know, have some waterfowl memorabilia type stuff. And, um, you know, and I love to show the, the old calls off, the new calls off, especially Mississippi call makers. I collect all those and, uh, you know, try to have a platform to, to help some other call makers and, you know, try to use it best I can. Oh, absolutely. And there's, it's such a, it's a thing that's so rich in the, the uh, just like the waterfall world. And there's so much of like the duck hunting history that comes out of just flat out duck calls in general. So like, why wouldn't you want to bring that part out? And especially, you know, if you have, like, because people are coming to you to find specifically for it. So if you can help promote it, it's even cooler. So yeah, uh, yeah. I would, uh, I get like why a, a person would buy things not to hunt. I'm a little interested in the people that buy like specifically brand new calls not to hunt because man, but I'm a hunter and, and I'm a hunter more than even a photographer. And today would have been an amazing day for me to take photos. And man, I just can't get myself <laughs> to not have my gun in my hand and kind of the same way that I just couldn't get myself to not have like a hunting call in my hand and be looking to shoot ducks. So, but yeah. you know, everybody's got different things going. So that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. But it's fun, man. I love it. It's I mean, passion. I mean, we all, we all get to do it for a long time. Yeah. Dude, I would, I'd love to have a gig that you're doing, like where you're handcrafting something. Cause people, I get a message saying that I'm an artist in this and that I, I don't, feel that way i don't like i feel like you're an artist because you're like making something creating something and crafting it and but man like i don't feel that with photos i feel like i could be but not the same way as like you are like where you're like taking a physical object and making it into something so i well photography is so powerful um you know it's artist artistry and it's in its own, uh, the right photos, you know, that, um, so as anybody, you, you can have a picture that's, uh, yeah. I, for example, I remember a Filson picture that I saw when I was probably 15 or 16 as a waterfowl shot. And when I saw that picture, it made me want to wear Filson for, you know, if I could afford it one day, maybe one where it. it was, it was a powerful, powerful picture. And so, you know, there's, there's some serious creativity and some artistry. Those don't just happen. You know, uh, people think, uh, and I, and I'll tell this quick story. So I had this you know, photographer come and, um, you know, the, the question with, or the statement you always get, I know you get it when you when you put out these great photos is, Oh, you must have a great camera. Oh, of course. Right? Yeah. Good yeah. Camera. That's yeah. all it takes. And so, and as a photographer, you have to just laugh that off because if people yeah. say that, they just don't understand. But, so anyway, my oh. buddy said huh, that uh, his, his he went to uh, went to his in laws' house and and he had taken some family pictures. And uh, the grandmother was cooking that night, and she came up to him and she said, "You know, golly, you're you're just you're taking the <laughs> your pictures are fantastic. You must have the greatest camera on the market and spend all this money on stuff." And he kind of laughed it off. And so they ate dinner, and he was about to leave, and and uh, he looked over to her and he said, uh, he said, that dinner was amazing. Uh, so you must have the best, most expensive oven that, you know, <laughs> person can buy. <laughs> yep, exactly. 
that, that put it in perspective for yeah. photographers. I mean, because that's, that's just, all it takes is just the equipment, you know, like your yeah. lathe and your tools must just be awesome. Yeah. That's, <laughs> you know, it's obviously the point is um, yep. there's a lot more to photography than, you know, the camera while it is a tool and you got to have it. If you don't have the eye for it and, you know, the editing skills, everything else that goes into it, you're not going to produce a great image. Yeah. So, without a doubt. What you do is art. Uh, I suppose. I will, I'll take a little bit of that. Yes. So like, you know, the one, so on the duck, on like the call making side of life, I've kind of always wondered like, what does it take like to make a duck call for someone? Like at the, like if you were just going to make your own duck call to go hunt with and you didn't need to look fantastic, how long would that take versus something like, cause the calls you've made are, I mean, some of those suckers are unbelievable looking and I've heard them and they sound good. And what is like a time investment on that? Like for you as a super experienced guy. And then there's like, let's say someone wanted to learn how to make a call that just sounded decent. Good. Let's say, I'm going to say, let's say I wanted to learn and I'm just going to give myself a benefit of the doubt and say that I, learn stuff fairly quick and I have a good understanding of duck call, you know, like dynamics. What would it take to learn to make a duck call that you would want to take in the field with you and one that you wanted to like sell to someone that made sounded awesome? Hmm. Well, I mean, the first prerequisite would be like, you need to be able to blow a duck call fairly well <laughs> well hold you know? on i mean it's, that's uh, not a prerequisite at all for to make it <laughs> to make duck calls the internet has proven that because there's plenty of people who cannot blow duck calls that are uh attempting to sell or selling i don't know how many they actually sell but they're out there and they're not and they're pretending to sell duck calls so well, let's just say that I mean, you should let's say, say you should be able to blow a duck call maybe my is. opinion is you, you know so that <laughs> so, you know Assuming you can blow a duck call, right? Yeah. And, and, and you know, well, do like, all that. Then, run the whole gamut of sounds available on a duck call. <laughs> I mean, it's, man, it's so, it just depends. Like, so you got, you, you got to buy tools and acquire tools that you just don't run to Home Depot and get. You know, uh-huh. there's some specialized tools in call making and, uh, you know, you got to figure out where to, where to find all that and what you actually need. I mean, it may take you a year to amass all your tools. I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, so it kind of depends on how quickly you can do that. Um, you know, and then, I mean, I was on fire for it. I mean, I was out in my, I didn't have my shop when I first started. Uh, I was turning in a garage and uh, the house that we lived in before this one. And, um, you know, it was swatting mosquitoes in the summer at midnight. Uh, it was freezing in the winter. I'd have all my duck hunting clothes on and a five-gallon propane tank next to me. Freezing, so freezing as in like to come up with that sixty degrees or what? <laughs> Do what? Freezing as in like sixty? <laughs> no, like you know, honestly, you guys don't uh, say good. this, but our thirty is way no, colder. Than no, I 30. I agree. Actually, a hundred percent. Your your forty degrees is colder than our twenty degrees, without a doubt. It's true. It's it weird. Is. It's the moisture yep, there. It's terrible. It's so I mean, you know, I was just so on fire for it that you know I was literally so my you know at that time I had a you know our first child and she was a baby and you know it's midnight so I can't just go wailing on duck calls in our garage so I would. 
I'd file in sand, file in sand, turn, you know, do whatever I was doing. And I'd have to go get in my truck in the driveway and blow the call <laughs> and then file in sand, file in sand, go get in the truck, blow the call. I mean, this is, you know, midnight, one, two in the morning. Oh, uh, and I got to go to work you know, yep. the next day. Um, so, you know, it depends on, you take it, you take your time doing it, whatever. But um, it was taking me, God, you know, eight, 10, 12 hours to, to maybe make a duck call that made a sound um, at decent, first. And then, you know, I think I was, I was four or five, six months into it when I finally got the, the tone board that I wanted to say, all right, that's it. I'm going to have a jig made off that one. Um, you know, so for some people that's, you know, a few weeks, maybe if you're lucky. And sometimes that's a few years, depending on how much you're, how much time and effort you're putting into it. Mm -hmm. Um, so it just varies. There's no way to say, you know, how you could, you could figure out what's all to get, get a list and, you know, order it all, get it all in a couple of weeks and, you know, start turning and you could, I guess, realistically, maybe in a few months, be able to come up with a call that you could hunt. But typically, it's a longer process than that. So, okay. So, I've never blown on your calls. Yeah. And I've never even seen one of your calls. And the only person I've heard blow your calls is you. So, what in terms of like a readily available call would you compare? Like, because you're, I mean, you know, you're, so you can tune a call cutting corks and that of course and i'm sure and you can sand stuff a little bit here and there yeah but your your overall your tone board's gonna have a general sound and feel to it and so like for me i blow a um a, a, like the calls i have in my lanyard that i almost lost today is a layers hybrid with a super stiff reed i think like a 1.375 and a, a really old stickered short barrel hedge that does not blow like a short barrel. It blows almost more like a Mondo. So it's got that like heavy kind of barky sound to it. Um, And I also, but I also love like, I have a daisy cutter, old daisy cutter that I love. It's got a ton of like wine to it. Like what would you like relate your typical call? If you were just to kick out a call and guy said, I just want a duck call. Um, I don't know what I want for a sound and you were just going to make him that call. What would that like be like on the scale of calls that are people could relate to in terms hmm. of, in terms of how they would blow? <clears throat> well, let me tell you, before I started making my own calls, I was, I blown a, um, blown echo timber, Southern game call. I blew a nasty boy. Okay. Um, I'm blowing a, uh, T1, uh, layers. Okay. Yep. On a short barrel. So if you look at all four of those calls, most of those, all those calls are, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of back pressure. Yeah. Um, probably the, the layers being the least back pressure of the four, but, um, you know, you can line that call, you can control that call very easily. Right. Yep. Um, he's got a good thing going with that design. What, who's that? The layers call. Yeah, yeah. Just all four of those calls in general yep. all feel a lot alike yep. um, to me when you when you put air into the call. Yep. Uh, and it, but it also you know, it's hard to say sound. because you know, you're, like you said, your short barrel, like your short barrel is to ha- to say that it's set up like a Mondo. 
you know, most short barrels are are not tuned like that. No, so it depends it's on not at all. How your particular call is tuned. I don't know. I mean, from a feel standpoint, I can just tell you that you know I like a call with back pressure. I like to be able to control a call. I like a control a, a call that has good top end. You know, really good bottom end. Yeah, you know, just good rally. Uh, you can be aggressive. You know, we, I say there's two ways to call ducks. You can tell ducks to come or you can ask ducks to come. And every day and every condition is different. And you never know which day you're going to have to, you know, uh, use which call. And, you know, the tell ducks is real aggressive. You know, the, the ask is, you know, and you can hear the inflection. It's an inflection difference, right? Oh, for so sure. Yep. I like a call, it'll do both. Uh, so my call will we'll do that. Um, uh, you know, so... Uh, I'd say from a, from a volume standpoint, it's, it's not going to be a, you know, you're not going to stand on main street and blow it. Uh, you know, it doesn't have a, a main street ring to it. It's no. not designed to, it's a hunting call. You yeah. Know? Well, they're two, to- those are, those yeah, are two volume, totally different calls. Woods, we, you know, I think that the word timber is, is when you, when you call it, when you say it calls a timber call, like for us, we blow louder in the timber than we'd ever blow in a field. We're very aggressive. We want to be loud, yep. you know, because ducks can't see you, but they can hear you. I think that's a um, misconception about when you take the word timber call and you translate it to someone, especially in the north, they think it's a quiet call. Yeah. And I, yeah. I've said, no, no, no. You no. don't blow quiet in the timber until they're right on top of you because they don't see you. A hundred percent of your attraction value is coming from the call. Whereas today when I was out, we had 50 decoys out that we paddled back in somewhere and they see those things. And you blow a duck call a little bit and they see the decoys and you've got kind of the combined factor of calling and decoys. Whereas in the woods, a timber call is doing all of the work at first until, until they're right on top of you. Yeah, and then you get quiet. And I mean, yep. a lot of times ducks are coming at us. We don't even blow a call. Yeah, um, or probably just they, a little bit just to get them to finish them. Yep, to center on you. Yeah, I mean, very. I mean, usually it's just one guy doing it. It's not everybody blowing the calls. You know, so you know, my call is it has that volume that you blow in the timber that I want. You know, and I need, and it also has that bottom end that you can back off of it and. Uh, you can do that. You can you can do that on the call, you know, because you could control it. It's got the, a back pressure. The sexy too. stuff on the bottom end. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. So uh, I don't know if I answered your question, but um, that's how I would describe this. You know, the sounds you get from my call. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, so it's got it's kind of got all the stuff. I mean, so in terms of like what I've blown, the only call I've ever blown, like one of my favorite things about duck calls and following duck calls and reading about duck calls, especially in catalogs, is that you read every single description of every single call is perfect range, high end for those, you know, hot, super tall migrators all the way down to low, soft chuckles to finish birds close, yada, yada, yada. And the only duck call that I've ever blown that really truly has that is that layers call that I bought. I'm like, I'm shocked that it does all of it. And I yeah. kind of have gathered that your calls are somewhat like that. And I haven't blown them. I'm assuming they're good. And that what I've heard of them is that they are similar to that. They've got kind of that very complete range of 
you can stand on them and they have a hard time overblowing and that you still have that good like soft like cool little like earth to them when you want to get like, like, I don't know, like yeah i like a good know. growly call yeah. yeah i do think i have a little different tone um than a lot of others and you know not any better not any worse you know just yep. a different something a little bit different um you know and, and that's that's uh uh, it's just how I design my tone board. Um, you know, dude, starting with that flat jig, man, it's tough. You know, that thing doesn't give you any sound. Doesn't tell you where to how to board or anything. And yeah, you got to start figuring that out. And if you know, if you want to start making calls, you know, I say that's how you start because it forces you to learn the nuances of that tone board. So if you do sell one one day and a guy says, "Man, I that thing's got way too much back pressure for me," I know exactly where to sand. Then to take that back pressure out or some of it out. And I never would have known that if I wouldn't have started with that flat jig. Um, and just, you see, it just forces you to learn all that stuff. You know, you really need to know. Um, Let's have like you know, that I, 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 example. I mean, I, I, I never, when I started, I never set out to, you know, sell a duck call when my, when, when I wasn't the goal, you know, um, but I did want to be respected. I want to be respected by the older call makers. And the only way I knew to do that was to start with a flat jig. Uh, and then, you know, make your not respect's not given. You're you not know, jamming. You're not just jamming. Time. Yeah. You're yeah. not just jamming someone else's tone board in that you replicated in. I like that. Cause that, that's yeah. the one thing I think I would love to find. Like, I always think it would be cool to, and I was, and I don't, I know so little about actually producing it. Like, Oh, I can blow it what's out there in existence, but I would love to be able to like be the guy that like, okay, I'm going to make a duck call and maybe I'm going to make the bore like double the size of a bore and the reed's <laughs> going to be way bigger. You know, I have no idea. Like I'm just thinking yeah. like these, there are things that maybe could work that no one's tried. And I'm sure someone's tried them. We like, tried them. I can, yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> well, you know, you're, yeah. You're woodshop. And, yep. Um, yeah. You know, you, it's, it's you, a hobby. You got, Nothing but time and, you know. Yeah, you drill a half-inch bore and you make the reed, you know, way bigger and way stiffer or way lighter. Who knows? Whatever it needs to be. Some yeah. combination. I'm like, oh, it's going to be way different. And I'm sure there's yeah. there's probably guys trying to do the same thing with some kind of a, a goose call reed system away from the basic clucker gut. I mean, that's what all these goose calls now are somewhat centered. I mean, they're different, but they're all cl- based around the mag clucker gut from 20 years ago. And so there's some somewhere down the line, something completely different is going to happen. And when that guy makes that, it's going to be like, whoa. So I was thinking, man, if I could make that, that would be so cool to have just like a completely different sound. And But to be honest, if I could just take a regular duck call and make it exactly how I wanted, but have it be me make it and not have to look at what other guys are doing, but just make it. I think that's like the cool thing. In, in like that side of life is like when you have completely just worked on it as a craft, like, cause that's what it is. It's a craft. And you, you took it and worked pretty and kind of made it perfect as to how you wanted it. And then it just ended up that way through trial and error and experience and all that. <laughs> I think that would just be like the coolest thing. And like we talked about yesterday, it's like, I mean, I make my own duck blinds, like on my boats. Like I love that. Like I love going out to spots where there's smart ducks and I can stick my boat somewhere and that sucker kills ducks 
and they come in and they're hovering at 10 yards and like that little bit of extra satisfaction that you get from doing that it's just something really cool so like i i can 100 percent see why you started into the line of wanting to make these things just you know on your own just to kill a duck on and how cool it is that it kind of transformed into you know, way more than that now so i dig that yeah, part of it it's been an interesting uh it's been a very interesting process and watch it unfold um where and I, I get like you do you know i get these notes of encouragement from people and uh you know it just kind of keeps the fire lit and uh like i said you know i'm fortunate enough to be able to do this for you know a long time oh hell yeah I mean, it's a cool gig man like i'm i'm jealous of that like I've got a pretty cool gig going and a lot of flexibility. I can hunt a lot. and But I just, I do definitely just, like, I mean, almost everybody I've had on all nine of my podcasts, almost all of them are some form of a duck caller, especially the latter, the, the first couple, maybe not known as duck callers, but man, almost everybody else has been a duck or a goose caller. And there's something about that, that every, every little bit of it I love and, I just kind of dig the whole part of it. And so I'm kind of, I've, I've been looking on some of these call pages more and I'm thinking like what I need to do to get a lathe and the very <laughs> basic equipment so that I can make myself a duck call that I can hunt on my own. And if I do that and then, uh, that'll be like the crowning achievement of my waterfowl hunting. <laughs> I tell you when I, you know, when people come to my shop, my main shop, or even in the mobile sh- mobile mobile shop. I I tell them on the front end. I say, look, I hope, I really hope that I make this look really easy, like to the point where <laughs> you're gonna feel like you can walk out of here and go buy a lathe at Harbor Freight tonight, and you know, do make it. your own duck call by in the morning. Yeah, I said, but just trust me, like, because if I don't make it look easy, then you know. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to master this craft, right? Yep. You don't ever really master anything, but that process of getting to that point where your tools are in the right places, your processes are in order. Um, you know, it's, it's a feel thing. Like turning wood is a feel thing with your, your tools and, you know, and the lathe and how hard to press and all that type of stuff. And, and I tell us, man, if I hope I make this look so easy that you think you can do it tomorrow, but just trust me, um, <laughs> it's not, <laughs> That and tone that, board is the thing. Yeah. And that's kind the of the other thing. Just turning wood. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that's the thing that like attracts me to it is like, it's a, it, it isn't just a gimme. Like you're not just going to go do it and you have to learn it. And it's kind of like, you know, there's a lot of people who do, who have different things. Like for my photography thing, like you don't just jump into it and start taking good photos. And like I, there's people who like get that desire to like get in there and learn it in learn every little bit of it and, and how you can make it better and what you can do to change and all those yeah. little inc- And that's the thing that I think really kind of gets me to it. And the fact that it just would be freaking cool to do that, to like have a yeah. lander, a call on my lander that someone I come hunt, come hunt with me doesn't know me. Like, Oh, what's that call? That sounds really good. I've never seen one of those. Yeah, I made it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I made that. <laughs> what? So my call, uh, <laughs> You know, people look at my lanyard and like, that's your call? I said, yeah, yeah, I only carry one call. Um, yes, that's all I need. Yep. Uh, but what it, it is, it's a it's a green hatch barrel that had a, mm. a knot in it. And there's yeah. a little, little hairline crack formed around that knot. So, I, you know, obviously wasn't going to sell it. Yep. And then I turned an insert one day and, you know, 
lo and behold, you get down into the wood. It looks perfect on the outside and there's a little void in it. And, you know, so I start turning it out. And so it kind of created a little different shape than my normal shape on the insert. And, uh, you know, so they not going to sell that one. So, you know, the call maker's call is just two scrap pieces that, uh, <laughs> that happen to be two that know. are unsellable to the general public. Yeah. But it's what I, you know, I think, you know, in terms of, you know, call maker, she's probably got a checkered, and, you know, carved and, uh, you know, it's, it's not how it is. And I, I know a lot of call makers and that their personal hunting call is essentially scraps that, you know, they just weren't going to sell because there's something wrong with it. Oh, well, yeah. Otherwise it takes you more time just to make it because you have, because you're spending hours to create those ones and they don't turn out, and, but it sounds good. So have yeah, it. with it. So Heck yeah. that's, uh, that's my, my personal hunting call. I love that. Man, we've yeah. been, I think we've been talking for over two hours already. Good Lord. I don't want, it flies. Again, I have to apologize to those guys that don't like the long ones because it just always ends up like this that ends up at two hours. So, um, you know, one thing, where are you headed next? Because do you, and do you ever cross the Mason Dixon line? Because I don't, doesn't seem like you do. Mm. <laughs> um, I am. I will. That would be <laughs> um, good. It's just, you know, uh, the right opportunity hasn't, hasn't presented itself for the mobile shop yet yep. to go that far. Um, you know, it gets, it gets a little pricey. Uh, you have to travel that far pulling that thing yep. out of the truck. But so uh, I'm doing, uh, actually I'll be in my hometown next week, uh, working with ESPN radio, Hunter Renfro, the right fielder for the San Diego Padres. Um, he's doing, he's giving me one of his bats, uh, to turn into a duck call while the morning show is going on on ESPN radio here in Jackson. So there's and no pressure gonna, there. Gonna, uh, auction that call off for Mora Mississippi organ recovery association. My dad just have a, had a life saving liver transplant new year's oh. day this year. Wow. And so we're huge supporters of that, you know, that organization, uh, Hunter played at Mississippi state first round draft pick, uh, oh. you know, pretty big name around here. Yeah. And, uh, so we're doing that next Tuesday. Uh, the next weekend, I'm taking the mobile shop down to an event, South Mississippi. Uh, November 1st, uh, there is a call night in Little Rock, Arkansas at Tri-State Truck Center. Um, like I, I think we already talked about that. I'm having Mike Lewis as my guest. Um, uh-huh. We'll talk, be talking about his book, obviously about duck calls. He's going to bring some pretty fantastic vintage calls with him to show off. Uh, then you get into... Um, Man, traveling a lot uh, during the season. Most of it is private duck clubs. The only public thing I think I'll have the mobile shop at is uh, they call it the Mallard Masters in Augusta, Arkansas. Hmm. And I don't know uh, that. it's a pretty neat deal. Uh, it's a fundraiser, also. Um, uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna be there with it. Uh, for, I think it's the first weekend of December. I have to look at my calendar. Um, but that's going to be probably as close. We were working on a deal in Oklahoma. I don't, it hasn't come to fruition. I don't, at this point, it may not, but you know, I probably, I'm booked up. Uh, I could probably, probably handle another one, maybe two, you know, private events during the season, but it's, it's pretty crazy, man. It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be on the road a lot. That's cool. I mean, this week, actually, next week. It's exposing a lot more people to your stuff and, kind of showing them what you got going I, I think that's a cool that mobile thing is a cool gig and i wish i wasn't uh half the country away from you because i can come down and see it <laughs> and have you make one for me 
<clears throat> yeah. Well, if you get down to Arkansas or that Augusta thing, man, that'd be a, be a cool opportunity. When's that going on? Uh, I think it's the first week, first weekend in December. Oh, I'll be at the Worlds. Um, uh, working on right now place to uh, park it and use the, you know, yeah, just need somewhere to park. Yeah, and I've for got, sure. I'm working with a you know pretty large company that um, maybe will have that hammered out here in the yeah. next couple of days. So, man, I'm like I'm torn on going to Worlds because I'm I'm not going to be in it, but I'm I'm super. I want to go there just one meet people. Two, probably to hunt. Three, it would be an amazing place to run into a whole bunch of dudes to set up podcasts for all in a short period of time. But it's like literally the peak of our duck hunting season. Like it's <laughs> when we get as good as we get typically. And I'm like, ah, I just can't quite pull myself away. But <laughs> maybe, I'll, maybe I'll swing down for the latter half of it or something. So yeah, you know, it's a Friday, Saturday deal. You could just come on Saturday. Oh, you know what? I can't. Ryan, Ryan's coming. That He'll be here that Saturday. I'd have to come Sunday. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. See, it doesn't. No, it doesn't work. It's over. No, we're going to be shooting. We're going to be busy shooting greenheads at that point in time. So, I'll, yeah. have to, I'll have to come the next day or a few days later. So, yeah. So, that's well, where I'll be. Man, just kind of cool. everywhere. Traveling around. Next couple of months. Yeah. Traveling around cranking out duck calls, man. That's the life right there. Yeah. It 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 I guarantee you though, it, it has its set of stresses and challenges oh, with dude. it. It's you know, uh, everything that that's the thing, everything those people who think that people have the ultimate job, it's still a job. Everything is still a job, and there's always that stuff that goes into it that you don't see in the back on the back side of it. And I'm gonna say there's there's definitely the downsides of some of the cooler jobs are way better than the downsides of some of the crappy jobs. Yeah. But it's still always a job. So like you can it never, is, nothing's ever, nothing's ever as easy unless you won the lottery. <laughs> nothing's ever as easy as it seems. So, well, I'm not a, I'm not from a lottery winning family. Uh, no, <laughs> I mean, my mom was a school teacher and my dad worked for the state and just, <laughs> you know, I hear you. Learn got- value of hard work and, um, you know, that's how it, it is. Going, man. Yep. Keep it going. Cool, man. I appreciate it. Uh, having you on, we will, uh, have to talk offline here about getting you up, uh, North here to shoot some ducks on some open water where you can see them in the distance. And we'll really, uh, use that duck call. <laughs> That'd be a great experience. <laughs> thanks you for dig. having me, Phil. I really you appreciate dig. it. Yeah, man. Keep in touch. And, uh, thanks everybody for listening. And we will, uh, catch you next week. Thanks guys.